Thank you, Simon. Good morning. This is Ian Lee at oh, nearly four minutes past six uh, on Monday morning. It's BBC Three Counties Breakfast. Everybody here is laughing at me because I have a plaster on my finger. Not just any plaster. It's um, it's from the film Cars. Have you seen that? I've not seen it. But I'm aware of it. It's Disney, and it? It's a Disney film with cars, and kids love it. And they're going, why have you got... Why well, have you got plaster with cartoon cars on? Well, because I have a two-and-a-half-year-old boy, and the only way you can get him to wear plasters is if it involves either cars, tractors, or Thomas the Tank Engine. That's it. The thing is, he got so obsessed with the Thomas the Tank Engine plasters that uh, we came in um, into his room, and he had covered himself with plasters. There were no injuries. He just wanted to wear Thomas plasters all over the place. I injured my finger... Dear listener, uh, this weekend, whilst trying to change the blade, a stubborn blade, on a lawnmower. And uh, my wife was away, I was in the house on my own, I thought, I'm going to do this. This has been, when she comes back, she's going to be so proud of me, because I've got to change the blade. And it, it ended literally in tears. We'll be asking about your gardening injuries. So this must be like a nice, relaxing thing, doing the gardening... It's horrible, I nearly chopped my finger off. And No, I'm not exaggerating. I, I did nearly chop my finger off. 08459 455 555, your gardening injuries. Also, uh, we'll be celebrating the magic of Bradley Wiggins and indeed his sideburns. Imagine how much faster he would have been if he'd shaved those burns off. Uh, Henry Moore and lots of more other stuff as well. You can give us a call at any point uh, and take part in the show. 08459 455. 555 is the telephone number. Uh, you can text as well, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or you can email 3CR at bbc.co.uk. Call 08459 I was using so much indoor language in an outdoor environment. My neighbours uh, must have thought a load of sailors had moved in or something. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Speak to you after Blondie. Thank you. Good morning. There's Blondie. BBC Three Counties Breakfast. This is Ian Lee. It's uh, nearly ten. It's nearly ten minutes past six. We'll, we'll call it that, and you know, never mention it again, shall we? Oh eight four five nine. 455-555 is the telephone number if you want to give me a call. Now, on almost every front page this morning is the man who's being hailed as one of Britain's best ever athletes, Bradley Wiggins, who's become the first British mod to win the Tour de France since uh, Ronnie Lane in 1967. I'm joking, of course. He's the first British cyclist to ever win the Tour de France. Uh, David Cameron has uh, described his achievement as an immense feat of physical and mental ability. Here's how Bradley summed up his, his achievement uh, after the winner's podium. You're just trying to soak it all in every minute of it and articulate what you're feeling. It's, yeah, it's a strange feeling, very strange. It's very different. We're, of course, now we come out of the bubble. And now we start to realise what it means to all these people that have come over here for the weekend. And yeah, it's that, that turn up there, every lap, there's just a sea of Brits and the noise is incredible. It's, you know, close to what it was like at the Olympics, you know, in Athens and that when they're, they're, they're coming into the home straight of that kind of feeling. But there were no wild celebrations last night. He's already back in London this morning. 
uh, getting ready for the Olympics. Our reporter Gavin Lee can tell us more. Good morning, Gavin. Hello, morning. Can you put this into context for us? What Bradley has achieved by doing this? Well, it, it is absolutely, and to, you know, to overuse the superlative, it is incredible. And I say this because you know I'm usually talking to you from far from places, not too nice places. Tend to be where the four horsemen of the apocalypse tend to go: Syria, Lebanon. But I actually am a lifetime cycling fan. I'm not mm. Johnny come lately to this sport, and I never thought in my lifetime I'd see a British winner. It's you know more than 109 years, 50 odd years since a British cyclist could take part in this, and they've had no chance in the past. And then about three years ago. A man called David Brailsford, who uh, was a British man, a manager of Team Sky, which was then created, who said he would put the best of the British cyclists together, he would buy them out of contracts with other cycling teams, and he said he wanted Bradley Wiggins. Bradley Wiggins had won three gold medals at the last Olympics. He was seen as somebody who, in the cycling world, called a man who had a huge engine, that he had the potential to win this three-week race, 2,000 miles, every single day on the bike, going through some of the most arduous mountain climbs, the Pyrenees, the Alps, and you know that's what happened. You had Bradley Wiggins who said he could do it. A, f- a couple of years ago he competed, came fourth. They thought actually he had the potential. Last year he sort of capitulated, he um, fell off, he broke his collarbone. And then all the pressure was on for this year. And I think it, it was the combination of using somebody like Bradley Wiggins and the um, foresight of somebody like David Brailsford of this team to, to buy out people like Mark Cavendish, you know, the British rider who won the, the final stage yesterday, paid one and a half million uh, to buy him out of that contract. You know, they have pretty significant wages, not compared to footballers, but pretty big wages, and it has paid off. He's quite a character, isn't he, uh, Bradley? The French have called him a, a typical British eccentric. Yeah, I mean, you described his, you know, his fashion tastes, his music tastes. As, you know, he described himself uh, as a mod. He's a huge fan of Paul Weller. He, um, you know, 32 years old. He described him as a gentleman as well because there was a particular moment that, for those that hadn't seen it, tacks were thrown on the, the mountain paths and that some of the other significant competitors, Cadell Evans, the Australian who won the Tour de France last year, uh, punctured and Bradley Wiggins who was leading at the time decided to slow the whole pace down and order those at the, the front of the group to slow down and give him a chance and you know that is seen as sort of sporting professionalism that he said he didn't want to win in any way that would be described as unfair or cheating or gamesmanship and for that I think he's got to be, be credited but yeah he's, he's a man that doesn't say a great deal but when he does I think he's fairly articulate the French like him because he also can speak French as well he's, he's ridden for, for a few French teams and all of a sudden you know this man that people probably knew many people probably knew very little about because cycling is not a huge sport but it, it is such an incredible feat to do this i think more so than you know andy murray winning wimbledon if that ever, ever happens i think there's certainly um a potential for him to be a sports personality of the year d- depending what goes on at the olympics there is a massive campaign now you'll probably have seen it in some of the papers as well for him to be lighting the olympic cauldron uh, in a few days time too uh very quickly britain's got a, a plethora of fantastic cyclists yeah. um including Bradley Wickens. What is the success being put down to? Well, if we go back to the 90s, back in the day when there was um, one cyclist that you know, was the only British cyclist that was doing anything and track cycling, that was Chris Boardman, who was sort of getting Olympic medals, who was winning um, individual pursuits. Um, what happened was, and Chris Boardman has since said, success breeds success. People saw him, people like Bradley Wiggins, and, and continued to try on that British effort. It's probably worth me briefly saying all of the drugs that have been associated with cycling in the past, the performance enhancing drugs um, 
um, a few years ago, British Sport decided to invest money on Olympic um, venues, the velodrome in Manchester, to have track cyclists. And what's happened in the last few years, since the, the drugs have been outed from the sport a little bit, those cyclists have started to concentrate on the Tour. Bradley Wiggins has always said, from a little boy, he always wanted to win the Tour de France. He used to follow some of the big Spanish cyclists, Miguel Indurain, and this year, he's done it. Fantastic. Gavin uh, Lee, our reporter, talking there about Bradley Wiggins. The thing, that, the whole thing about the tax being thrown on, on the road. Okay, and you thought it was incredible. So, so I didn't know that tax actually existed. I, I've never used the word tack in my life. I thought it was just only happened in cartoons. And is le gentleman, is that really a French phrase? Thank you very much, Gavin. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. These are your headlines this morning on Monday the 23rd of July on BBC Three Counties Radio. Two men have been charged with the theft of a bronze sculpture by Henry Moore and a bronze plinth, both stolen from the Henry Moore Foundation in Hertfordshire earlier this month. The items were recovered by Hertfordshire Police following an appeal on BBC One's Crime Watch programme. President Obama has met the families of the 12 people who died in a shooting at a cinema in Colorado. Seven people remain in a critical condition after the attack at a screening of the new Batman film. In sport, Bradley Wiggins has left Paris after his Tour de France victory to start preparing for the Olympics. Wiggins said he'll be back on his bike at a secret location later today. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a few minutes with Steve Weston. And coming up, more on the recovered sundial found after it had been stolen from the Henry Moore Foundation in Hertfordshire. I don't want to keep banging on about me cutting my finger this weekend, but I'm going to keep banging on about me cutting my finger this weekend. Because enough. The thing is, it really hurt, and it sounds like, oh, he's just cut his finger... But actually, it's a very deep cut, and at one point, yeah, <laughs> at one point, I was thinking I might have to call an ambulance. <laughs> I was thinking that genuinely. Now, no, don't laugh. The team here have seen the wound, and I think they are finding that that um, the fact that that thought crossed my mind uh, as being quite ridiculous. But my wife wasn't there, and I didn't know what to do. And all I had were these tiny little um, Disney plasters, uh, and they were not in any way stemming the flow of blood. And there was. There was... Uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's 18 minutes past six in the morning. You don't want to hear this. But there was blood all over the bathroom. It was covered in it. Again, that's a slight exaggeration. Uh, but I just couldn't stop the... And what it was, it wasn't the blade of the lawnmower that cut my finger. Uh, I, I'd used... Um, I'd got one of these... It was like a, a cheap copy of a Leatherman. If you don't know what it is, it's a, a sort of metal tool that you can open it up and it's got a pair of pliers in the middle. But there are also lots of different blades. Uh, and so it's a cheap copy of those, uh, of one of those. And I had the knife out because the the bolt holding the um, the, the lawnmower blade on was is completely stuck. I cannot get it off. And I was doing everything, putting oil on it um, and uh, all kinds of things. Today I'm going at it with a blowtorch because I read on the internet that's what you need to do. Uh, but so I was trying to prise it free um, with a knife. And this cheap knife, it folded and slammed down on my finger uh, uh, causing very, very serious injuries. So, I, I do want to know today, and we will, we, we'll, we'll talk about this throughout the show, your gardening injuries. Because gardening is supposed to be a very sedate, relaxing, you know, kind of zen-type affair, where you go and you do it and you become one with nature and you get lost in your thoughts and suddenly five hours have passed. Not a thing where you nearly cut the end of your finger off. So gardening injuries, and we can expand that a bit as well, I think, to injuries in what should be a safe environment. Injuries where you shouldn't have injured yourself. Maybe you've been asleep. I did this once. I was, a, I was having a doze, and I woke up, and a friend went, oh my God, what have you done to your face? 
and I had this massive cut right above my eye. And I don't know how I did it. It was about an inch and a half long. And it turned into a nasty bit of a scar for a while. I had no idea how I did that in my sleep. So when you've injured yourself in uh, what should be a safe environment, 08459 455 555. You can text as well, 81333. Start your text 3CR. Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's get the weather now from uh, what I would assume is a safe environment, Steve Weston. I don't know what it's like there. Um, I'm always stubbing my toes on the, um, the, um, the feet of the benches. The benches? What benches? At work? The, the be- yes, yeah. <laughs> Do you have benches and not chairs? Well, oh, no, it's, a, it's sort of like the computer table in I front s- of them. I see what they you mean. feet that stick out and they have these rubber bungs over the end. And if the rubber bungs fall off, you stub your toe on the uh, bare metal. Have you ever trod on a piece of Lego? Yes. I believe they use that in to- as torture in various parts of the world when they want information from terrorists. They just take off their shoes and socks, scatter Lego on the floor and make <laughs> them walk around on it. It's the most <laughs> painful thing. <laughs> Steve, what's happening in the world of weather, please? It's a fantastic day coming up. Fine and dry, almost unbroken sunshine, feeling very warm today. There's the forecast. Steve, thank you very much. We're going to go straight to Graham in Luke News called in 08459 555 555. Graham, what's the, uh, the pressing matter that's caused you to call in this time in the morning? Your cut on your finger. Yes, yes. Now, don't say it like that. It's a big cut. Right. Okay, I can understand that. Thank you. I've done it myself a few times. Yes. But your your, your nut on your lawnmower blade... Yeah. Do you realise it's left-hand thread? Now, you're you're speaking to an idiot. What what does that mean? You've got to tighten it to slacken it off. What? What does that mean? Well, instead of instead of going clockwise, you've got to go anti-clockwise I'm, with it. Uh, no, ah, yes, I'm going anti-clockwise. I was going clockwise initially, but then <laughs> I, I uh, YouTubed it, and there was a man giving a very nice demonstration, and you're right, it does go anti-clockwise, and you're supposed to jam the blade with a bit of wood and all of this, but it's completely stuck on there, Graham. Nothing will shift it. You need a bigger spanner. Thank a you longer for... spanner, because longer the spanner, <laughs> it makes it easier. Really? More leverage. I bought one of those little plastic ones that's supposed to go with it, but you're saying I need a proper big metal spanner. You no, know, you need a metal spanner. Very quickly, Graham, uh, one uh, website, I've literally I've spent all weekend looking this up because it's, it's now my nemesis. <laughs> one weekend <laughs> said you yes, can, you loose, you can like loosen it, it with, um, if you heat it up with a blowtorch. It depends on how your lawnmower is constructed. It's not constructed with plastic, is it? Yeah. Well, don't use a blowtorch then, because you'll be buying a new lawnmower. Thank you very much, Graham. There we go. <laughs> Thank you, Graham. This is why I love doing this job, because you mention something like that, and you get a gentleman like Graham uh, phoning up with some top tips. Of course, I shouldn't be a- attacking a plastic lawnmower with a blowtorch. I'm going to give it a go, though. Otherwise, a lawnmower is like 150 quid. I don't want to spend that when it's just the blade. And the blade is broken simply because I went over a massive rock. Yes, dear listener, if, if lawnmower injuries don't interest you, then I would switch over now, because that's what it's going to be between now and, now and nine o'clock. Uh, here's something that's not about lawnmowers. Hertfordshire police say a stolen Henry Moore sculpture has been found following an appeal on uh, BBC's Crime Watch programme. The bronze sundial sculpture was stolen from the grounds of the Henry Moore Foundation in Much Haddam overnight between the 10th and 11th of July. Nikki Fox reports. It's worth a fortune, and many feared it would never be seen again. The sundial, by arguably Britain's best-known sculptor, was taken from the grounds of the Henry Moore Foundation at Much Haddam 12 days ago. The theft attracted 
attracted huge publicity. Hertfordshire police appealed for any information, but for a week, there were no leads. Detectives are investigating the theft of a rare bronze sundial. On Thursday night, though, the case was featured on Crime Watch. And is worth about half a million pounds. There's two theories at the moment. One is that it's been stolen for its scrap value, and uh, really it would be worth very little in scrap value, probably no more than 70, 75 pounds. The Henry Moore Foundation are offering a reward of uh, 25,000 pounds, and obviously what we want to do is we want to get the sundial back. Thanks, Paul. Uh, if you have any idea where that bronze sundial might be, or of course who took it, please call us It's down. now emerged that shortly afterwards, someone rang in with a tip-off. Police aren't saying exactly where they found the sculpture, but three young men from Stansted in Essex were arrested. We're absolutely thrilled to have it back, to have something back home again that's been missing for a couple of weeks. Well, it's just like having a, a long-lost relative come home again. The foundation hopes the case will now stimulate interest in finding another work stolen from Much Haddam. The £100,000 reward for finding reclining figure remains unclaimed after seven years. 22-year-old Liam Hughes and 19-year-old Jason Parker, both from Stansted in Essex, face two counts of theft. They've been granted conditional bail and are due before magistrates in Stevenage on August the 3rd. A 22-year-old man uh, who was also arrested was released without charge. Brian Smalley knew and worked with Henry Moore. He told us why his artwork is so important. The thing about Henry Moore is he loved children to climb on his sculpture and touch it. Uh, and that was his, you know, the thing that brought joy to the young people who actually looked at it. He didn't say, oh, you can't touch it, it's valuable. He, he let them enjoy it. He really was very sensitive and he was well liked in the village. I mean, he drank occasionally in the local pub. He went shopping in Bishop Stalford. He appeared to be just an ordinary person. See, I love stuff like that. Wasn't. I love stuff like that when you, when you, you can k- take kids and they can climb over it because you go to so many of these things, oh, no. Oh, no, please don't touch. Oh, no, don't touch. But then when the kids can climb on bits of art, that's fantastic. That's what it's all about. I took my little boy to see the tiger who came to tea at the weekend, uh, and it was it was an interesting performance, but I believe it was flawed. There we go, there's my uh, critique of that. You didn't see enough of the tiger. I really wanted to see a lot of the tiger, and there was a bit of the tiger, but I, I wanted to see more of the tiger. And then we went to an ice cream, but we went to a very posh ice cream parlour, right, in Fortnum and Mason's in London. But it wasn't as expensive as it sounds, and also, what was great, is they kept, we were going to go there and we were going to, you know, buy one of their posh ice creams. They kept giving us free ice cream. So in the end, we had enough free ice cream that we didn't need to buy any ice cream. It was wonderful. So that was my weekend. Eating free ice creams and chopping the tip of my finger off. Let's have a quick look at the, uh, the, the, some of the papers. We'll do some now and some later on. Uh, the Guardian. Le Gentleman rides into Paris and history. Bradley Wiggins. It turns out Le Gentleman is a legitimate... French phrase. It doesn't sound particularly French, does it? It doesn't sound French in the slightest. Le gentleman. Uh, and Osborne wrecking green plans to placate MPs. Senior Tory former minister hits out over moves to block clean energy measures. Uh, it's all Bradley Wiggins, to be honest. It's, it's, all, it's all you need to know. Uh, the Telegraph. Um, Bradley Wiggins with his little boy. Who's also dressed up like a mod. He's got like a, um, uh, a Ben Sherman shirt, it looks on. And, this, uh, you know, it's very good. Uh, and drop sky high pension charges. Ministers say funds that have torn the heart out of retirements with unreasonable fees should offer savers a new deal. And the front page of the Times, that's not really a front page. It's just a, a pure picture of Bradley 
And that's it. Oh, that, that, there's another there's another front page within. It's one of those double front pages. I can breathe easy again. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Call oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. BBC Three Counties Radio. A car crashed into a noodle bar in Luton at the weekend. The Vauxhall Corsa went through the front window of the restaurant in Chapel Street while people were eating. One person was treated by paramedics. Our reporter, Kelly Betts, went down to Horchar Noodle Bar and spoke to Sing Fan, the owner. So talk us through what happened here on, on Saturday afternoon. We were working here and suddenly I heard uh, some customer outside people saying, oh, car, and then, oh, God, there's a car. Then we saw outside a car coming to the shop, straight away drive inside and then crashed all the glasses, all the walls, and our counter broke as well. Everything was fly away, and our colleagues were in the middle of the you know counter, and they too okay. They didn't get injured, so they are, they, they are fine. But you know what? It's like a, a bit lucky because there's no customers here, I mean, next to the window glasses. And, uh, yeah, it's all right. So this happened at around 6 o'clock Saturday, yeah. and you said there were no customers near the window, but were there customers in here eating at the yeah, time? Yeah, it was inside, yeah, so they were all lucky, actually. The driver lucky as well, yeah. So nobody was hurt? Yeah. What happened? The, the car just came straight yeah, through the because window? we have no idea, because what I saw is I heard someone say, oh, God, car. So I look outside, because I was standing in the counter as well, and I saw the car outside straight away fly, you know, to the shop. And then we lost the memory, you know, just came inside, that's it. You are quite lucky because in the restaurant you do yeah. have seats right by that window, yeah. but nobody was there at that yeah, time. Yeah, have swings as well. Normally there's kids or something, they're playing or they're sitting in the swing as well. Yeah, yesterday was really lucky. If this had been any other night when there had been customers there, it could have been yeah, a lot worse. Yeah, there be lots of injured. At, anyway, you know what, it's like the, the car, there's no gas or stuff, or you come out if it's burned, because the kitchen, we have gas inside, mm. so it's going to be got, you know, big bomb, like, so we're lucky, actually. You are lucky. And are you carrying on as business as normal? Basically, we, we, we plan to reopen the shop tonight after 5 o'clock, but, you know, there's some customers that I really want to have take it, eat inside or something, then we say, okay, if you don't mind, because we're trying to clean up the shop and we try to arrange all the refurnishment and stuff. Yeah. Has it scared you, working here? <laughs> Serious. But I'm the boss, so what other choice I can do, yeah. I think it's all right, because we, 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 we opened the shop roughly around two years something, so we have some regular customers. I just think lucky, you know, because nobody injured, that's it. Imagine be having your, your supper. And by the way, can I just say, that has... Uh, I really fancy some noodles now. I really fancy some... I know, it, I know it's only... It's not even 20 to 7 in the morning, but some noodles, a little bit of spicy, uh, would go down a right treat now. Producers, get me some noodles, for goodness sakes. Uh, 08459 455 555. The hot topic of debate this morning uh, is lawnmowers. Uh, and Dave in Luton. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Ian. Can you help me with my... Flipping lawnmower. I cannot get the blade off. Right, I'll tell you what to do. Yes, sir. Get some WD-40. Yes. Screw it round the nuthead. Yes. Get a pair of Stilsons. You know what they are, don't I've you? I've got no idea what a pair of Stilsons are. I'm hoping it's something that we can say on the radio. Well, yeah, it's, it's like a... You never hear them today. It's like a pair of... Uh, an open-eared spanner. Okay. But you've got a little screw that you can adjust with your fingers to a make mo- it A monkey wrench. 
Well, it, it, it used to be called Stilton's. Okay, okay. Right. Get a pair of them. Yeah. Tighten the nut. Yes. Tighten the bolt. Yes. Don't undo it. No. Tighten it. Tighten it. You, yeah, tighten it so you break the seal. Where it is, it's the water that what? gets to the nut and seizes it. Hang on a minute. So, Dave, what you're saying is insane. You're saying instead of loosening the nut no. to take it yeah. off, I've got to tighten it. Just try and tighten it so you break the seal of the water. I s- uh-huh. And then, when you've tightened it, it'll come straight off undone. I'll do it. It happens to me. Have you ever injured yourself? I'm guessing you're a gardener, are you, Dave? Did you take the plug out? Hello? Did y- you take the plug out? What, did I unplug it from the wall? Yeah. Yeah, of course I did. I'm not an idiot. Well, I mean, I'm yeah, a bit but, of an idiot, but yeah, I'm not... But, but how did you come to pl- cut your finger? Well, I, the, the thing was, I was... <laughs> oh, now I've got to say it out loud again. Because it was stuck, and I've tried oil, and I've tried, you know, whacking it with a hammer and all this stuff, I thought if I got a really sharp pen knife... Oh, God, I, yeah. Yeah, I could stick it under the nut, and that would loosen it a bit. But what no. happened was, no, exactly, the pen knife folded and chopped my yeah. finger off. Well, did you have a pair of gloves on doing it? No, I did not. No, no. no. So you've got to tighten the nut. <laughs> oh, everyone thinks I'm an idiot now. No, you put the Stilton's on, yes. or a spanner, or, or a spanner. Yes. Well, it's going to fit it. Don't yeah. get that plastic, because it'll break. David. Yes. Have you ever injured yourself in the garden? No. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. You're all being very kind, but I know that you're all just there smirking, going, what a plum. What an absolute plum. Thank you, David. If you want to phone up and take the mic, 08459 455 555. Here's, here's something. David Steele's wife, this is in the, the, the mail, at the age of 70, has had a tattoo of a pink leaping jaguar tattooed on her left shoulder at its first unveiling to Lord Steele it did not go well according to his wife she said when he saw it he said I assume that's a transfer I don't get tattoos I don't understand why would you why would you do that to yourself why would you do that and why would you do it at the age of 70 when you see her you know she is like someone's gran and she's got a tattoo of a pink jaguar on her shoulder I don't understand the tattoo. Doesn't having a tattoo say something about you and say something that's not very nice about you? I don't want to, you know, judge everybody for if you've got a tattoo, but... Oh! You, you're a bit, have you got... Right, OK, listen, let's, let's, let's ask the question. Have you got a tattoo and why did you have it done? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you can give me a call on that. And can we find the oldest person listening who's had a tattoo? Maybe you're over 60, maybe you're over 70, and you're considering it. Call me up and I will talk you out of it. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are your headlines this morning on Monday the 23rd of July uh, at 6.45 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Two men have been charged with the theft of a bronze sculpture by Henry Moore and a bronze plinth, both stolen from the Henry Moore Foundation in Hertfordshire earlier this month. The items were recovered by Hertfordshire police following an appeal on BBC One's Crime Watch programme. President Obama has met the families of the 12 people who died in a shooting at a cinema in Colorado. Seven people remain in a critical condition after the attack at a screening of the new Batman film. In sport, Bradley Wiggins has left Paris after his Tour de France victory to start preparing for the Olympics. Wiggins said he will be back on his bike at a secret location later on today. And your weather across beds, hearts and bucks. 
a fine... Is this number right? A fine and dry day with long spells of sunshine and feeling very warm. Top temperature around 28 degrees Celsius. I'll have some of that. Coming up, next we'll hear how businesses in Dunstable say they're losing money because customers are choosing not to use the town. Our reporter, Justin Daly, is there for us this morning. Yeah. Anyone else feel uncomfortable listening to that trailer? Makes me uncomfortable every time he talks about it. I've, I've met Roberto and he's, he, he seems like a, a delightful, a, a normal chap. And then you hear something like that and you think, oh my goodness, what a strange gentleman. Uh, business owners are angry they're losing money because people are pur- purposefully avoiding Dunstable. It's due to the ongoing roadworks, the £1 million improvement scheme, which is also causing tra- traffic chaos. If this affects you, by the way, if uh, you're a business there or you've seen this or you don't go into Dunstable because of this, then do give me a call. I'll give out the number in a little bit. The problem has got so bad that a meeting between traders was held last week to discuss ways in which to encourage more people into the town. Well, we're going to cross live now to our reporter, Justin Dealey, who is in Dunstable, where the roadworks are, and he's with hairdresser Sue Jay from Barnet Fair. Good morning, Justin. Thank you, Ian. I have to say, the, the, the traffic already in Dunstable is not particularly great this morning. I'm here with uh, Sue. Sue, welcome to the programme. So... Let's take ourselves back a year ago. Uh, in terms of your business here, how much money would you say that you've lost it in the last year, year on year, uh, with these roadworks in place? How much, how much money do you think you've lost? If you, if you, if you compare your figures to, to now compared to this time last year when the roadworks weren't here. I don't think you could actually put a figure on it. I mean, you, you have to take it as a general um, uh, position where we, we have lost trade because of the um, roadworks. But we hope once the roadworks are finished, trade will improve. Mm. So this road we're on right now, so, so if, if we are to, to, to look at the roadwork situation, you can't turn off the high street down to this road, can you? So that, that's what's affecting your trade. It is, yes. You, you have to go right round the town. People can't pull up outside the salon anymore and just walk in. I mean, this is going to be an ongoing problem for the next 20 weeks, we're told. But we're also told when it's finished, it will bring more trade into the town, and that's what we're expecting and looking forward to. Is this the worst you've ever known it? Because people often say Dunstable, it's, it's an absolute nightmare for, for traffic anyway. So is this the worst that you've ever known it here? It's the worst I've known for a long time. However, they did get it wrong. They, they've told us, the council told us at the meeting, we got it very wrong. We got the roadworks wrong, but we put it right. And I think you'll find now that the traffic, although it's heavy, it's flowing. And as providing it keeps flowing, people will keep coming into the town. What's happened is the, 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 the problem has called a cancer. Everyone thinks Dunstable's closed. In fact, it's not closed. We're open for business, and we'll remain open for business. And this is what the traders around here were worried about. People thought, oh, you can't get into Asda, you can't get out, it's going to be an hour. It's not, in fact, an hour at all. It, it's five, ten minutes to get out of Asda to come through the town. It has had an impact on the trade, but I think the council will rectify that very, very quickly. And what about your customers? What are they saying to you? Are they saying to you, it's just so bad, I'm not going to come back in a few weeks' time, I'm going to wait till the roadworks are over? I think we have had that discussion with several customers. I have had um, cancellations, as, as has um, other um, shops in the area. Mm. Where I think the, the problem is, is people assume that, that it's going to be bad for, for a long, long time, so they're not going to come into the town, they're going to go elsewhere. I think what we've got to get across is, we are open for business, the trade is still here. We, we will operate through these roadworks, and I think the council are doing everything that they can now to help us. OK, so, so when do these roadworks expect to finish? You mentioned 20 weeks there. What's the date that you've been told? We haven't been told a date, but we have been told it will be about 20 weeks. 
I know I've been told that things are running behind schedule slightly, but I think that's with any town. Things do happen. You know, we've had terrible weather. You know, things will make things worse. But I think on the whole, I think we're looking at about 20 weeks. But providing the council work with us and keep the roads running, I think that there won't be a great problem in the town. Interesting stuff. Thank you so much for your time. That's uh, Sue Jay there from Barnet Fair. So we're on Queensway here, Ian. As I look up to High Street North, you can turn on to, to the High Street here. But, but the issue for these people is here. Normally, you could come along High Street North and turn left down to this road. You can't do that anymore. Um, it has caused problems. People are losing money. And 20 weeks is a, a long time, of course. So the message is, Justin, I guess, that it's not as bad as perhaps people are fearing and get down there and support the local businesses. Absolutely. It's, it's something we've spoken about many times on this radio station before, about supporting local businesses in Dunstable. Uh, we know it's had its problems, but, but people here, they aren't closed. Uh, the shops are open. The roadworks will go on for 20 weeks or so. So the message is, come down, support your local traders. And the, 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 the shops and the roads, they are still open, that there's just diversions in place. Follow those signs and still come to the town. Justin, I'm going I'm to let you go there because it's a terrible line. And uh, apologies for anyone who was... Uh, like you'd be offended by a little bit of crackle. It sounded like we were playing an old record there, didn't it? I was listening to some records at the weekend, and I, I, I found the, the crackle and the hiss of that report from Justin Dealey there uh, to be uh, to be quite comforting. Thank you, Justin. We'll speak to him a little bit later on as well. Well, uh, Dunstable, do you live there? Do you own one of the shops there? Have you deliberately avoided going there because of these roadworks? Oh eight four five nine four double five. Five double five. How has it affected you? Is it a nightmare? It does sound like you know if, you're, if you've got a business there and people are staying away because of these roadblocks. Twenty weeks. Was that five months? That's a long time, isn't it? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You can text as well eight one three double three. Start your text three cr or email three cr at bbc.co.uk. Here's one of my favourites, Stushy. Blackheart. Good morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, your breakfast show here until nine o'clock. Let's have a quick look at some of the other uh, front pages before we get the news with Simon at seven. The Independent. Uh, London riots one year on? Really? I suppose it is. I don't know what's happened to time. It's gone all, um, it's gone all elastic recently. I've got no idea when things happened. I, I cannot judge when things happened. If you'd have said the London uh, riots, I'd have said, well, six months seven months well, that was christmas it wasn't a christmas what an idiot time uh, and also tax avoiders to be named and shamed companies that run aggressive tax avoidance schemes will be forced to provide the government with details of all their celebrity and business clients under a crackdown to be announced today is that fair surely you know that's sort of as long as you're not breaking the law that's kind of private isn't it? Not, I'm not saying that because I'm hiding anything, hiding anything at all. I, 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 no, no, no. I pay tax. I pay a bill at the end of the month. Blimey. The Daily Mail. BBC tells stars to dodge tax. Star face the ultimatum. Go off the books or face the sack. There's also a um, picture of Bradley Wiggins. The Daily Express. More Wiggins. Uh, and mortgage joy as rates slashed. Cash-strapped homeowners to benefit from banks lending. What, really? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if that happens. I'm, I'm not convinced. Uh, the Sun. Olympic terror visas racket. Pakistan passport gang is smashed. A visa scam giving potential terrorists the chance to sneak into Britain with Pakistan's Olympic team has been smashed by the Sun. Of course. Uh, and the Daily Mirror. 
uh, magnifique. Uh, Wigo hailed UK's greatest sportsman. Now bring on the Olympics. It is, uh, it, it's amazing how much this whole Bradley Wiggins thing has, has caught the public imagination. I, I, I didn't think people were really that aware of the Tour de France. I really, you know, liked it that much. I kind of have half an interest in it because my father-in-law is a cyclist and he rode a section of the Tour de France last year, I think maybe two years ago. And so we kind of, you know, have an awareness of it because of that. But um, it seems amazing, this Wiggins fever that's sweeping the nation. Uh, I do want to hear from you in the next hour, if you've got a tattoo. Can you explain the attraction of it? I can't think of anything worse. I don't think it looks nice as well. I could never have married a girl with a tattoo. Let's get the latest news now. Here's Simon Oxley. Simon, good morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, your breakfast show here until nine o'clock. It's 7.04. Got lots coming up in the next hour. Are we talking more about Bradley Wiggins? More on the Henry Moore sundial. And summer schools. It's the first day of the summer holidays today, I think, for most of you. I know it kind of varies from place to place, but I think it starts today. Would you ever consider sending your kids to summer school? This is something that doesn't really affect me, because my boys, they're babies, you know, so I... I, But what do you do in the summer holidays with them? If you work and you've got kids who normally go to school, how do you cope in the summer holidays? 08459 455 555. After nearly severing my finger at the weekend in the garden. We're asking, have you injured yourself in the garden or injured yourself somewhere that's normally considered to be quite a safe environment? Oh, the effing and jeffing coming from my backyard this weekend. Unbelievable. And tattoos. David Steele's wife has bought herself a tattoo, a pink leaping jaguar on her shoulder for her 70th birthday. It doesn't... It, no, no. It doesn't work. I, um, once, about six months ago, I did a thing with uh, Gloria Honeyford. Uh, and she was telling me how she was going to get a tattoo on her ankle of an angel for her birthday. No, ladies, come on, you're better than that. If you're... And I think it applies mainly to women. If you're a woman with a tattoo, does it say something about you? Blokes look awful as well. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to be sexist here, but... If you see someone with a tattoo, man or woman, do you think slightly differently about them because of their tats? You can text me, 81333, start your text 3CR. You can email 3cr at bbc.co.uk or you can call, of course. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555555
there were no leads. Detectives are investigating the theft of a rare bronze sundial. On Thursday night, though, the case was featured on Crime Watch. And is worth about half a million pounds. There's two theories at the moment. One is that it's been stolen for its scrap value, and uh, really it would be worth very little in scrap value, probably no more than 70, 75 pounds. The Henry Moore Foundation are offering a reward of uh, 25,000 pounds, and obviously what we want to do is we want to get the sundial back. Thanks, Paul. Uh, if you have any idea where that bronze sundial might be, or of course who took it, please call us It's now emerged that shortly afterwards, someone rang in with a tip-off. Police aren't saying exactly where they found the sculpture, but three young men from Stansted in Essex were arrested. We're absolutely thrilled to have it back, to have something back home again that's been missing for a couple of weeks. Well, it's just like having a, a long-lost relative come home again. The Foundation hopes the case will now stimulate interest in finding another work stolen from Much Haddam. The £100,000 reward for finding reclining figure remains unclaimed after seven years. Nicky Fox there. Now, 22-year-old Liam Hughes and 19-year-old Jason Parker, both from Stansted in Essex, face two counts of theft. They've been granted conditional bail and are due before magistrates in Stevenage uh, on August the 3rd. A 22-year-old man who was also arrested was released without charge. Dick Ellis, is, and Dick Ellis has got the coolest job in, in, in the world, by the way. He's a private art investigator, used to work for New Scotland Yard's famed art and antique squad. He's currently in Italy lecturing on art theft. Good morning, Dick. Morning. I'm so jealous of your life i really am uh, we spoke to you when the sundial had been taken it's been found now what's your reaction to this well i'm obviously very pleased that it's been recovered um sadly these things don't always come back but um and this is a very significant piece mm. how right. common how common are thefts like this dick um well thefts of statues you know garden statuary and so on are, are, it's relatively common um they are vulnerable because they you know they sit outside they're not uh, necessarily um well secured when it comes to alarms because they are problematic items to um, to, to alarm really the thing is i guess that these things are so big and heavy that you kind of have to just assume that, that people won't make the effort but but it would appear that people did make the effort with this and with the other henry moore sculpture how do they take them well, in this case, um, you know, it's not a particularly big and heavy piece. Right. Um, which is why I always doubted that, that it had been, uh, you know, the suggestion it was stolen for scrap. Mm. Frankly, I didn't think it was really worth the trip to Perry Green to, uh, in terms of petrol, to, to cover your costs by the scrap metal value. On the other hand, it's an extremely valuable Henry Moore, and that's why it was stolen, I'm quite sure. And would it have been taken, uh, you know, by, um, to order, do you think? Do you think someone would have said, I want that? No, generally these things uh, are not stolen to order in that way. Right. Um, you know, somebody might well take a chance on uh, on stealing it on, because they they know people that they feel they might be able to move it on to. Um, they very rarely are stolen uh, for, if you like, their true um, value. If this was to come up at uh, at auction, it would reach its five hundred thousand pound valuation with no problem at all. Probably rather more, but. Um, they don't expect to get that. They're, they're starting out with nothing, and if they get a few hundred pounds or a couple of thousand pounds, oh. well, they, you know, it's profit. Dick, the sundial was uh, found after an appeal on Crime Watch. I'm, I'm, I'm never sure how um, effective something like Crime Watch is, but it would appear in this case it, it, it worked. I, is this the way forward to recover stolen items? Um, Crime Watch is an extremely effective program. Is it? 
um, you know, it, it, it has the ability to turn uh, stolen property uh, into, uh, you know, too hot to handle. Mm. Uh, it encourages exactly what's happened here, people to come forward and, and uh, disclose where objects are. Um, and um, it has a very good track record, both for uh, identifying people and stolen property. So it, it is one of the ways forward. Uh, what you have to do when you lose property like this, uh, and, and the onus is on the owner uh, or their insurers to, insu to make sure that the public at large are aware that these things have been stolen mm. as part of the due diligence process. You can't expect people to know that something has been stolen unless you tell them. So it's very important to get the information out there. Um, you know, Henry Moores tend to uh, advertise themselves, but for lesser works, very important to advertise the fact they've been stolen, to use the trade publications, um, and to just get as much information out there, photographs of your stolen property, uh, not just garden statuary, obviously, but anything that you have stolen. Make sure it gets the widest publicity because it makes it that much harder to, to pass on and people can't say, oh, I didn't know it was stolen, um, if you've advertised it very fully. Dick, very quickly, how's, how's Italy? Are you having a good time? I know you're working, but are you having a good time? I had a wonderful time, but I'm, I'm, I'm back now. Oh! So, um... Yeah, no, I'm back in the UK for, for now, but I, I, I do have to travel elsewhere soon. So. Dick, thank you so much for uh, giving us some of your time. That's Dick Ellis, who is a private art investigator. and it's, he, He's been on the show before. We should get him in as a guest one day, because he's fascinating. It's fascinating, the stuff that he's dealt with. Um, and good news that that sundial is back now. We were talking about tattoos, because uh, David Steele's wife has given herself a tattoo at the age of 70 as a birthday present. And I kind of think, you know, it, it, it says something about you. We've got Lynn in Hemel Hempstead. Good morning, Lynn. Hello there, Ian. Lynn, you sound too classy to have a tattoo. <laughs> I thought I was too classy to have a tattoo as well. But have you got one? Yeah, I did it. I explained to Emma that my partner died 11 years ago. Oh dear, I'm sorry to hear that. That's all right. We'd, it's a long time ago. We'd been together 23 years. And he was very poorly. Mm. Um, it took him three months to die. I had multiple cancers. Oh and it was totally out of my normal way of behaving. And for some obscure reason, I decided to have a tattoo. Was he still um, alive when you had the tattoo, or had he passed no, at that point? No, I waited about a year before I had it. Right. And, can I, and so it's a, it's a reminder of him. Uh, what is the tattoo? It's quite small. It's on the back of my shoulder, so I can't see it. Right. And I can cover it up, like, if I need to. I wouldn't show it off. Yeah. Because I sort of agree with you. I think they're quite horrible in some ways. But yeah, you've, you've still got one as a, as a memorial to your partner. Yeah, that's why I had it done. And I had my belly pierced at the same time. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, kept, that was a surprise, Lynn. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> now, the belly piercing is fine, because if you want to take that out, you can take that out. And, uh, but the tattoos are permanently... Wouldn't, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not being flippant, so please don't think I am. No, but wouldn't, no wouldn't, I'm not. Wouldn't a picture have been nice, or a locket, or something like that? Oh, I've got pictures of him yeah. everywhere still. But the tattooist and um, body piercing person did say to me, you're quite old. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I was a, well, it was ten years ago, so I was forty-seven. Cheeky son. He, so. he said, "If you don't mind me asking, he wasn't rude or anything. He just said, i 'I'm just curious as to why 
old women suddenly decide to have a belly piercing or a tattoo. So I explained it and I said, the reason I'm having the belly piercing is I was a bit of a chunky monkey. And when my partner was ill, I lost 40 pounds in three months. Oh, goodness. And it's, no, it's fine. I've never put it back oh, on again. Then there you go. I'm still a little skinny, so that's good. And I said I wanted my belly pierced because I hadn't had a flat stomach since I could remember. Mm. So I've got a little diamond stud in my belly and a little tattoo. But so they're both hideable. They don't have to be yeah. seen by anyone, so... Lynn, listen, thank you so much for sharing that story. And, and uh, yes, thank you very much for that. Uh, I, I would suggest that the, perhaps those are extraordinary circumstances and it could be justified in them because it's got a symbolic uh, meaning and it's a, it's a link with her partner that's passed away. Lynn, thank you. 08459 455 555. It's Monday the 23rd of July. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Two men have been charged with the theft of a bronze sculpture by Henry Moore and a bronze plinth, both stolen from the Henry Moore Foundation in Hertfordshire earlier this month. The items were recovered by Hertfordshire Police following an appeal on BBC One's Crime Watch programme. President Obama has met the families of the 12 people who died in a shooting at a cinema in Colorado. Seven people remain in a critical condition after the attack at a screening of the new Batman film. In sport, Bradley Wiggins has left Paris after his Tour de France victory to start preparing for the Olympics. Wiggins said he'll be back on his bike at a secret location later today. We'll have a full sports bulletin with Simon in 15 minutes. We'll also have a full weather bulletin in a moment with Steve Weston. Coming up, when you pour your milk over your morning cereal or into your cuppa, how bothered are you about where the money you pay for it goes? Dairy farmers have staged a third night of protests over pricing cuts. Hear more next. Nick's got a computer expert on today. My advice is turn it off and turn it on again. If that don't work, get a new one. But I'm, I'm sure the computer expert will have more details <laughs> advice than that. I'm very excited. My DVD player has not been working for... It's worked intermittently for ages. And just at the weekend, I had the house to myself. I tried to watch an episode of The Monkeys on DVD. It was having none of it. So I bought my, I've bought myself a new DVD player. I ordered it online. Twenty nine ninety nine. I wasn't going to go to town. Twenty nine ninety nine. We're talking about tattoos, uh, and we have a text from uh, Richard, who says, "I know several people with tattoos. Their reasons for having them, they say, is being individual and unique." However, I think it's peer pressure and conformity wanting to be the same as their mates. Low self-esteem seems to be the underlying cause. That, 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 that does seem quite a big point, that low self-esteem. The thing... OK, I'm going to say it. The tattoo that really gets me is what I believe is known in street parlance as the uh, tramp stamp. It's the tattoo. It's, it's such a horrible, unattractive thing. It's the tattoo. And it seems to be mainly young women. I don't think... I've seen a guy that's got it, uh, the, the sort of uh, just at the base of the spine, above the bottom, like angel wings or something written in Latin. Or uh, what? Why would you do that? Seriously, what? What is that saying about you? It doesn't say. It's not very nice, is it? If you've got one of those, those sort of long tattoos at the base of your spine, could you phone up and and, and tell me why? Oh eight four five nine. Four double five, five double five. Because I just, I, I cannot see why anyone in their right mind would do that. That and the Celtic symbols, like around the arm, 
Oh, man. Why would you do that? 08459 455 555. If you've got one of those tattoos, could you give me a call and let me know? There was a brilliant story in the paper last week about the woman, I suspect she was American, who had um, something along the lines of Olympic Games 2012 tattooed on her body. But they'd spelt Olympic wrong. Oh, why? L-I-M-P-I-C. Olympics. And you think, oh, that is, you permanently have a badge on you that says, I am a plum. It's just ridiculous. Oh, wait, fourth. And then she's in the paper trying to justify it, going, well, you know, I could have got it changed, but, you know, I'm, now I'm even more of an individual. No, you're not. You're a, a, an idiot that's got a misspelt word on your skin forever. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five. Five double five. Beds, hearts and bugs weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Steve Weston, I have to ask the question. I'm hoping I know the answer. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tats? No. Let's have the weather news. Thank you, sir. And here's the weather forecast. Steve, thank you very much for that. There, there you go, you see. I, I knew Steve wouldn't have a tattoo because he just... He, although, I was going to say, sometimes you, you, can, you can always tell when, uh, when people won't have tattoos. But sometimes you can be surprised, can't you? Sometimes you can... Someone who seems quite respectable and normal, and I use the word normal in a complimentary sense. Okay, it's, I don't think it's, it's an insult to be normal. But sometimes a normal person will surprise you. Have you seen what I've got done? Oh, my goodness. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Farming ministers have agreed to push for a new code of practice on milk pricing when they meet later today to try uh, and end a dispute between farmers and processors. Dairy farmers have staged a third night of protests over a two pence per litre cut in the amount they receive for a litre of milk. On the line now, we've got Mansell Raymond, chairman of the NFU Dairy Board. Good morning, Mansell. Good morning. What's the latest on the protests? Where are they happening and how many farmers have been taking part? Well, there's been protests last night again down in the southwest. Farmers are out protesting because they just cannot accept and cannot take the price cut that's been proposed for the 1st of August because dairy farmers are losing money at the present time and they just can't take these cuts. So that's the, main, that's the reason. And how many farmers are, are out there taking part in this? Well, there's farmers out there posted, protesting at the moment who have never protested before in their lives because they've always felt it's better to try and talk or negotiate, but the you know, majority of dairy farmers are at the end of their tether. So it's we have put the position clear that we want the p- proposed price cuts on the, that have proposed for the 1st of August taken off the table. Okay. But you don't have and a number of the, uh, for, for the number of farmers there are pr- protesting? Well, there's been hundreds of farmers okay. protesting in different parts, hundreds. Now, the government can't intervene to fix the prices. That would be illegal, uh, of course. What would you like them to do? Well, we've been working on a voluntary code of practice to get better contracts between dairy producer and buyer for the last six or nine months. It's been difficult, but we want a fairer balance once when producers are setting milk, when processors are setting milk prices with their producers. So we're just looking for that fairer contract. There is no other business in the country that a buyer sets a milk price and then the supplier has to supply that product for at least 12 months before they can resign or move somewhere else. Is, if, if things change, Mansell, is this going to mean milk is going to be more expensive in the shops? No, there should be no reason for milk being more expensive in the shops because at the end of the day there's enough margin, I would say, in the supply chain at the top end. 
what we're all looking for is again a fairer balance of margin that producers are allowed to make a profit because at the end of the day if producers do not make profit there will be a shortage of milk, milk supply will fall and then milk, milk will cost more in the shops and that's not the last thing the milk producers want so all we need to have a sustainable milk market in the, or milk production in the UK milk producers must make a margin Do the protests look like they could continue for some time? How determined are these farmers? Well, as I said earlier, farmers are at the end of their tether. Their their businesses are in danger. And it can end pretty quickly as long as the proposed price cuts planned for the 1st of August are taken off. And the two pence per litre price cuts, which we did receive in May and June, can be renegotiated. And we can get our milk price back at least to 30 pence per litre to cover the cost of production, plus something on top of that, again, to make a profit. And haven't some of the big big stores already uh, capitulated and and said that they will increase the amount of money they pay to farmers? Yes, three stores have come forward and uh, have increased what the price that they are paying to milk producers. But Morrison's came forward on Saturday. I think Asda, who did start the ball rolling, will have to come back to the table and offer more than the two pence which they have offered. They have to offer more than that. But again, I just make a plea to all supermarkets and retailers, but also food service sector and the discounters, that at the end of the day, milk producers, unless they get 30 pence per litre, there is no margin, there is no profit, and the young people in this, the young dairy farmers of the country have had enough, basically, and they don't see a future. Mansell, thank you very much for that. That's Mansell Raymond, who's chairman of the NFU uh, Dairy Board, saying that if the, 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 the farmers get more money, it won't cost you more in the shop. Well, that's got to make sense, then, hasn't it? It does amaze me that the farmers are losing money on every pint of milk that they produce. How is that sustainable? On a similar vein, although it could be seen as quite a flippant uh, change of events, in the, in the Daily Mail, which is not normally my, f- my favourite newspaper, but there have been two excellent stories in it today. I know, I know, there have been two, two cracking stories. The first one, uh, David Steele's wife getting a tattoo done. Uh, uh, as a present for her 70th birthday he saw it and went i do hope that's a transfer <clears throat> oh no david that's there forever uh, the other story I, 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 i'm such an old man i'm gonna I'll, I'll read it archers fans in revolt as tale of everyday country folk turns into farmageddon now i do love the archers I, if i catch it on on radio four in the week i love it if i'm at home on my own or driving on my own on a sunday when the omnibus is on oh i'm in heaven Quite often don't know what's going on, don't know a lot of the characters, and there's lots of men who are very, they're always very breathy when they come into a room, and they say, you're never going to believe what's happening to the cows up there. They're always very breathy. I love it. But it's got, it's got a new um, kind of head of storylines. It's a guy who's, um, uh, who is it? His name's John York, who used to work for EastEnders, and he's been criticised for making the archers a little bit grittier. It's a little bit nastier. Lots of people getting killed off there's um tales of harassment and firebombing and stuff like that and i'm loving it i'm absolutely loving it but all of the um a lot of the hardcore listeners are very upset it says in the paper that, that there has been outrage on forums on internet forums listen that's all internet forums are for is to for for people to express outrage i was on telly last night there was outrage on internet forums at what i said people were furious with me so never believe what you read in the internet forum. No one, 
no one goes on an internet forum to say something nice about something. It's not, it's not what they're there for. They just never will. But I love the Archers. I'm very excited. It's all getting a little bit sexy and a bit raunchy. It's a fantastic programme. Yeah, get, get younger listeners in for the Archers. 08459 455555. Call 08459 455555. 08459 455555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Simon. Now, we're not ones to state the obvious here at Three Counties. We are always first uh, for news. But if you're either parents or you're driving to work and the roads are a bit quieter, then you will probably have gathered... It's the start of the summer holidays. So, what have you got planned with the kids? How many weeks? I don't know how long summer holidays are these days. Seven weeks, six weeks? Six weeks when I was a kid. Seven weeks, eight weeks, something like that. It just sprawls ahead of you. What are you going to do with them? Well, after last year's riots, the government want young people to have somewhere and something to do this time around. So they decided summer schools would be a good idea. And locally, there are many which are opening their doors, including the Royal Grammar School in High Wycombe. Ben Sword is regional manager who looks after the running of them. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. Whoa, you're enthusiastic for this time of the day, Ben. Uh, always. I'm up since <laughs> six o'clock, so uh, I've had a bit of time to get ready. I've, I've been up since four. I've not woken up properly yet. Uh, <laughs> what are the benefits of taking your kids to one of these camps? Well, we sort of provide um, day camps from eight in the morning till six in the evening, so we can kind of um, cover parents for pretty much the whole day. Um, and we try and make sure that children sort of of all ages between 4 and 14 and make sure they have a great time. And um, we provide lots of different activities, uh, including stuff like archery and swimming and quad biking at some of our camps. Um, not, not at every camp. Um, some of it is um, facility dependent. Um, but we try and make sure that every child comes and has a great time regarding, uh, regardless of whether it's their first day or whether it's their 30th. Hey, if, if, is there quad biking, did you say? Can I come down? Yeah, no, you can certainly come down and have a go. I'm sure you'd fit. I'd That's love a go. Me. I'd love a go on a quad bike. <laughs> should <laughs> fun. should all the, should all kids go to summer school? Um, well, we certainly, um, we like to think so. I mean, we literally, we try and provide something for everyone. So regardless of, um, like I said, whether whether your child's four or whether your child's 14, we mm. try and make sure um, all of our activities are um, age-appropriate. So we're never going to put the same children together. Um, it's a great opportunity for the children to come and make new friends and try something a bit different and do something new. And, and we think that's quite cool. Does it get them out of trouble? Ben, because you know you got time on your hands. You're a little bit bored, a little bit disenfranchised. You can well, get up to all kinds yeah. of stuff. I mean, definitely. I mean, it's um, if you've got children that are sort of may- maybe, especially um, sort of maybe eleven, twelve, thirteen year olds, maybe that maybe are hanging around. They haven't really got anything to do in the holidays, and mum and dad possibly haven't got time to spend all their time looking after them. It's a great thing to like keep kids off of playing in the street or anything like that. Um, we try and keep all the children engaged all the time, and it, we think it's just a great way to kind of keep children involved, and it's a great way for them to make new friends, meet new people, etc. Okay, if you're a parent, one <laughs> one of the things about being a parent is you know that summer holidays are coming up. Shouldn't you be able to look after your kids yourself? Does this mean you're a lazy parent if you send your kid off to one of these summer schools? Not at all, not at all. Um, it, you know, we completely understand that parents have to work, and in this financial climate more than ever... Um, you, you know, parents can't afford to take weeks and weeks off of work. It, it's just not all the way it is anymore, unfortunately. Um, so what we think we can do is kind of provide the next best thing. Um, and we try and offer as much support and care for the children as we can. Um, and then we communicate that back to the parents. So, you know, the parent still feels involved. They still know about their child's day, etc. Um, but without actually, we can sort of look after them between eight and six. Ben, how much does it cost? 
Um, at Royal Grammar School, it's um, £37 a day. Um, so, and there's also a weekly discount, um, which I have to just double-check quickly. Bear with me one second. Um, it is, I think, 164 for a week. See, that's, um, quite exp- that's quite expensive, isn't it, Ben? I know, it does People will struggle expensive. with that, won't they? No, I do, I do, we do understand that, um, and, but what we say is that if you kind of break it down into an hourly rate, um, because you're sort of going from 8 in the morning until 6 in the evening, um, it, it works out effectively at £3.70 an hour, okay. what we think is really quality childcare. Yeah. So when you look at it from that perspective, although it does sound a lot when you hear kind of the block figure, if you imagine having to get, say, a childminder in that you might pay by the hour, I can sort of guarantee it costs you more than sort of £3.70 and they won't be able to sort of provide the sort of things that we can. So we do understand that it does sound expensive, but when you actually break it down, it's really not that bad. Ben, as, as a parent, the thing I'd want to know is how many, I don't know if you call them teachers or whatever, but how many teachers are there, how many kids per teacher? What's the sure, ratio? Uh, great question. Um, so the ratio we have completely depends on the age, because obviously the younger ones kind of need a little bit more specialist care. Yeah. Um, so the way we work is um, the four and five-year-olds um, work on a one-to-eight ratio. Okay. Um, the six to seven-year-olds work on a one-to-twelve ratio, and then the eight and above we go um, one staff member to 16. Um, so to to six, six zero was that? Oh, no, 1 to 16. 1 to 16. Okay, sorry, thank you. Well, that's, that's good, yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously sizes are a lot smaller than they would be um, in a school environment. So that means we can dedicate a lot more time, each staff member can dedicate more time to each individual child. We try and make sure every child has a great time anyway. So. Ben, listen, thank you very much for that. I wish you the best of luck. That was Ben Sword uh, there, who's um, uh, the regional manager. And we're talking about these, these summer schools. Uh, and there's um, happening all over the country, uh, including at the Royal Grammar School in High Wycombe. What do you reckon? Sounds good. Does the money put you off? Well, he's right. When you break it down per hour, it's much cheaper than a childminder, isn't it? Could you afford that much per week, though? It, 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 is it too much? Surely it's got to be good to be able to send your kids somewhere where you know they're going to be safe, you know that someone's going to have an eye on them, uh, and you know uh, well, you know where they are, and they're going to be doing interesting different things. I'll be out for a bit of archery. I had a go at archery once. I thought it was awesome. I loved it. A bit of quad biking. I'll have some of that. Superb. Let me know what you think. Oh, wait, four, five, nine. Four double five, five double five. Does that sound like the kind of thing that you'd like to do? Does the money put you off, or does it mean if you send your kids to one of these that you failed a little bit as a parent? There's something wrong with you. The thing I don't get about kids: why would you have kids to send them to boarding school? What's that? That's weird, isn't it? Boarding school is a weird thing. Why would you have kids? Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent, and I shall, I shall rein myself in. Uh, what do you think about the summer schools and the summer camps? Oh eight four five nine, four double five, five double five. We've got an email three uh, uh, cr at bbc.co.uk. Sue in Luton has emailed him. I am lucky enough to be with my kids over the summer break. However, we still send our kids to a residential summer school or camp of their choice for one or two weeks, which we started doing a few years ago after they'd been to an activity camp on a school trip and loved it so much they wanted to go in the holidays. This is kind of an American thing, isn't it? The Americans have been doing this for years and years. This year, one is off to a camp, the other a residential music school. We also have a holiday together as a family. They are safe when away and their life is enriched by the experience. We all miss each other, of course, but the benefits to their confidence, etc., is fab. The only downside to residential places is the cost, as they can be expensive and out of reach for a lot of people. Sue, thank you very much for that. 
08459 455 555. What's your take on that? I don't know. I mean, it's my boy's two and a half and six months, so we're not anywhere near that yet. Saying that, I did just book my holiday yesterday. Going to Zakynthos for ten days, yeah. The thing is, well, my wife's half Greek, so we go and stay with her family. Free holiday, they look after the kids, we get a load of food. Brilliant. Everyone's a winner. Everyone is a winner. Very excited. Although, if I've got to pay £30 to take a suitcase. 30 When did this happen? I'm sure when I went last year, I didn't have to pay £30 to take a suitcase. And also, if I booked it the day before, it would have been £50 cheaper. You've got to be quick. There are two fantastic pictures in the Telegraph today, pages 10 and 11. One of them is in, a, a, or a variation is in different uh, pages, papers. Uh, one of them is Amelia Hempelman Adams, who was the youngest person to ski to the South Pole at the age of 16. She's one of the torchbearers, um, and she is holding it, and this is an incredible picture. She's on top of one of the pods of the London Eye. As it's going round. And it's in various different papers, various stages of her journey. And it's just this amazing picture of her stood <clears throat> on top of uh, the, a pod of the London Eye with Big Ben in the background. Incredible. I would, I'm not a fan of heights. You would have caught me nowhere near that whatsoever. And then the other uh, the picture is on page 10. And I'm looking at this picture going, these guys all look um, vaguely familiar. And it's, uh, it, <laughs> it's the Ernest Hemingway lookalike competition. Now, I wouldn't have had a clue what Ernest Hemingway looks like. But now, he, I can tell, he, he wears what looks like a, 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 a Boy Scouts uniform. Uh, he's short, he's dumpy, with a beard and white hair. And there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine Ernest Hemingway lookalikes in this picture. And one of them is... Um, uh, Matt Gineo is giving Greg Fawcett a big kiss for being the winner of the annual Ernest Hemingway lookalike competition. I love it. 08459 These are your headlines this morning on Monday the 23rd of July at 7.46 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Two men have been charged with the theft of a bronze sculpture by Henry Moore and a bronze plinth, both stolen from the Henry Moore Foundation in Hertfordshire earlier this month. The items were recovered by Hertfordshire Police following an appeal on BBC One's Crime Watch programme. President Obama has met the families of the 12 people who died in a shooting at a cinema in Colorado. Seven people remain in a critical condition after the attack at a screening of the new Batman film. In sport, Bradley Wiggins has left Paris after his Tour de France victory to start preparing for the Olympics. Wiggins said he'll be back on his bike at a secret location later today. And your weather for beds, hearts and bucks, a fine and dry day with long spells of sunshine, feeling very warm. Top temperature around 28 degrees Celsius. Coming up, James Holmes, the man who's been arrested in connection with shootings at the premiere of the new Batman film, will appear in court later today. Ten of the people injured in Friday shootings remain in hospital. We'll find out more next. This story about the shooting at the uh, the cinema that happened, I think it was on Friday, is just incredible. I, I was I was driving home uh, from doing this and heard it on the news, and just could not stop listening. Uh, even though it was it was horrific as the news was coming in, it was just. Just incredible. Uh, President Obama has called Friday's cinema shooting in uh, Aurora, Colorado, a tragedy. The president spoke after he'd met victims and relatives of the gun attack there. 
He told them the person responsible would feel the full force of the American justice system. And he said the whole of the United States and much of the world was thinking of them. I hope that over the next several days, next several weeks and next several months, uh, we all reflect on how we can uh, do something about some of the senseless violence that uh, ends up marring uh, this country. 24-year-old James Holmes has been arrested in connection with the attack which killed 12 and injured 58. One of the victims was a six-year-old girl. Mr Holmes is alleged to have opened fire during a packed midnight screening of the latest Batman film The Dark Knight Rises before being detained outside the cinema. He's currently being held in solitary confinement for his own safety and is reported to be not cooperating. Speaking on American TV, the governor of Colorado, John Hinkenlooper, said those involved were determined to overcome the trauma. The state is, is heartbroken. I think it was Hemingway that said, the world breaks us all, but afterward we're stronger in the broken places. And I think that's the, what we heard in the hospitals yesterday. We went to as many of the hospitals and visited families and the victims. And there was a buoyancy that's already the, a resiliency where people were, were not going to let this you know, define their life. They were going to they're going to fight back. Mr Obama's visit to Aurora comes a day after police cleared James Holmes's flat of explosives which could have killed people entering via the door. The FBI is now collecting evidence from his flat. Investigators say a computer found inside his home could provide crucial details. Questions are also being asked about the US gun laws. In an interview on US television, the mayor of New York City, Michael Bloomberg, called for both Mr Obama and his presidential challenger, Mitt Romney, to take action on gun control. Maybe this is the wake-up call we need. Maybe Gabby Giffins was the wake-up call we needed. Uh, but somebody's got to do something about this, and this requires, and particularly in a presidential year, uh, the candidates for president of the United States to stand up and once and for all say, yes, they feel terrible. Yes, it's a tragedy. Yes, we have great sympathy for the families. But it's time for this country to do something. And that's the job of the president of the United States. James Holmes will appear in court later today. Ten of the people injured in Friday's shootings remain in hospital. Seven of them critically hurt. We heard they're, they're, they're talking about changing the gun control laws in, uh, in America. That will never happen. It will never... Because, it, because it's protected by, uh, by the Bill of Rights or... No, the Constitution, isn't it? The right to bear arms. The rest of the quote goes on and actually means something slightly different. But it, it, it's the right to bear arms. And so it will never change, even though it's obviously flawed. Anyway, uh, we're talking about tattoos after uh, the David Steele's wife uh, got a tattoo at the age of 70. And I just think there is nothing attractive uh, about a tattoo. We've got a couple of texts on this, 81333, starting their text, 3CR. I have a tattoo, says April. When I was 16, I drew a piece of original art. When I was 31, I had this tattooed onto my shoulder. I am the only person in the world with this art. It is mine. Yeah, but April, you're the only person in the world with that face. Do you, do you, that's individual enough, isn't it? I'm the only person in the world with this face. Well, apart from Marlon Dingle. Um, but pretty close to it. Nick says, why would you pay someone to stick needles in you and inject ink under your skin that stays forever and will cost a fortune to remove? Nick, <clears throat> I agree with you. I just, I don't get it. Wh where, why? You're not an individual as well, if you have it done. Because now loads of people have got tattoos. I remember in the 70s, they were kind of a bit um, underground. But now everyone's got tattoos. When pop stars and sports stars 
start having tattoos, then, you know, there's nothing individual about them. Dennis is in Dunstable. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning. Uh, have you got tattoos, Dennis? No, I have not. <laughs> you, you've got the same contempt and disgust for them that I have. No, it's not a matter of that. I joined the Navy just after the end of the war, and one of the first things they asked us when they were taking notes down, did we have any scars or tattoos? And I said, why? He said, well, were you able to identify if you go over the wall? Right? We didn't carry dog tags like the Army, so I could understand that. Yeah. But I can't understand these people who would complain about the police having their fingerprints on, on file when they've got their tattoo, which also marks them down as somebody to chase. Why don't they go the whole hog and have a chip put in like dogs? Then we'd be able to identify them wherever they go, because that's already been done on the continent in one place, where you have a chip put under your skin, as you walk through the door of the clubhouse, it clicks on, they know you're there, you pay for your drinks through that chip. So, you know, they're identified. So why don't we do it with babies? And I've done with it. Dennis, so many um, tangents in that, that, what, that um, outburst. I'm impressed. First of all, I don't know if you can necessarily e- equate people who have tattoos with those people who are against um, fingerprinting and DNA. I don't know if there's any connection there. And where exactly is it in the continent that they, they do this about so, the chipping? Well, I believe it's in Holland. There was a bit in the paper about right. it. And they even get their... They don't pay for drinks over right. the bar. They get a monthly bill. But you see, if they did that, it means that every supermarket would have something on the door. So, oh yes, he's coming. We know what sort of things he buys, so that's the sort of things we'll supply. They're ever trying, people ringing up and saying, will you give me some idea of your lifestyle? What the hell do they want to know my lifestyle for? You know, at my what? age. Hang on, who's asking? Who's been asking you about your lifestyle, Dennis? Well, people on the, they keep ringing me up on the on the telephone and saying, "Who would you?" I don't know. This is it. People just ring up and say, "Oh, I represent so and so." Oh, okay. We Pe- want to discuss what sort of things uh, you know might make you happy, or what do you buy? What you know? Do do you do certain things? And I don't want people to know that. I want to be a man of mystery. <laughs> okay, Den- well, Dennis, can I ask you a question before we let you go? Yes. What kind of things make you happy? Waking up every morning. There we go. <laughs> Dennis, thank you very much for that. Uh, a few tangents. Is that, I don't, it's not really a place in, on the continent where they have the chips under the skin, is it? That, that you pay in a bar with the chip under your skin? Really? I'd not heard of it, and I'm not disputing Dennis. I'm a little bit, but if, if anyone can prove me wrong, 08459 455 555. Thank you very much, Dennis. Um, excellent. Now, people using the buses will find there's been a few changes in the Bedford Borough from today. Rural services have been improved, amongst others. Some will become more frequent, whereas other new ones will be added. The council has been in regular contact with bus operators and passengers to make sure they're run uh, efficiently. Councillor Charles Royden is the man who knows more. Good morning, Charles. Yeah, hello, good morning. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. How do these changes come about? Well, look, with rural buses, it's, uh, it's a, a very difficult thing to try and make sure that you've, you're providing the buses that people need at the times they need them, because we can't provide a service that runs every 15 minutes, as we might do in an urban area. So what we've done is, Bedford Borough Council has actually retained an incredibly good rural bus service, better than all of our neighbours in surrounding councils. But we have, what we've done is we've gone to people locally and said, look, when do you want your buses? 
So that we might have been running a bus on a day where people didn't really actually want it, and they preferred to go on another day more frequently so that they could perhaps go to St. Neots and go to the market or something like that. So what we've done is we've engaged with residents, we've engaged with parish councils, and we've delivered bus services which we think target the needs that people have. And sometimes they're not the needs that we thought they had. You know, we didn't realise that lots of people want to go to the doctors on a certain day. So we've now tailored the bus services to make sure that they're providing a service which is much better for people. So how, rural services are now better, according to you. H- how so? Well, for one thing, we're providing more buses than elsewhere. Right. We're providing. We're also doing a, a system whereby buses connect up to other areas, so that, for instance, our, our neighbouring authorities have cut bus services drastically. We find that in in places around us, the, the, the services have really been worse than decimated. So what we've done is we've looked at where their services are so that we can dovetail into them, so that we can take people to places like St. Neots or Rushton. And we're also, um, I don't know if you've noticed Bedford bus station itself, but mm. it have a lot of taxis in it. And people were getting dropped off at, not at the bus station itself, and it seemed daft to me that you had a, a bus station that had taxis all over the place, and places for people to park their cars, but it didn't have locations for buses. So if you go down to Bedford Town Centre now, you're not dropped off uh, ad hoc in different roads around the town, you're dropped off in the bus station if you've got a rural route. Now that allows our rural bus service users to actually uh, dovetail in to the urban network as well, so that if someone's coming from uh, out at Schoenbrook, they'll be able to get into the hospital because they'll be able to get a match when they get into the bus station. They won't have to walk from a bus all the way to another bus. So it, it fits in very well for them as well. Brilliant news that you've, you've, uh, you've listened to people and you've uh, increased bus services. Have you had to cancel some routes and, and how will that affect people? Well, there have been one or two routes where we, ha- we haven't had to cancel them, but we've um, changed the service on certain days. So we've reduced the service on certain days because nobody was using them. Right. We've got to the situation where literally a bus would be travelling along with no one on it. Mm. Uh, and you, you can't do that because it's ch- it would have to be cheaper on some routes to, to just provide everyone with taxis. Um, but we've got, we've, we've, what we've done is we've located those routes where people aren't using them on certain days and increased the service on another day instead. For instance, a day when they might want to go to a market or a doctor's. Uh, and, of course, what we've also just had in Bedford is, is a really encouraging news that we've got uh, a large grant to enable us to improve our passenger network uh, and uh, increase it, the, the service at the, at, the, at the railway station as well. So we've got £600,000 has just come in as, as a government grant which will enable us to put a lot more effort and energy into our public transport network. It's great news for Bedford. Charles, thank you for that. That's Councillor Charles Royden uh, from Bedford Borough talking about the uh, change to the rural bus services. I like the idea of the council paying for cabs for everyone. Charles, I think you are onto something there, my friend. Thank you. Coming up in the next hour, more on the uh, Henry Moore, Sandy Skate Park. I think Jonathan Vernon Smith might pop in to say hello. Always the highlight of my day. Now, time for the latest news with Simon Oxley. Good morning, dear listener. It's at four minutes past eight. It's Monday, the 23rd of July. The first day of the school holidays, and it's nice weather. This will do, won't it? This is Ian Lee. I'm uh, at breakfast for the for this week and next week. I think yes, two more weeks. Uh, and here until nine o'clock, when Jonathan Vernon Smith will uh, come and do his thing, and he'll pop in in about 10-15 minutes to let us know what's happening on his show today. But between eight and nine, we have more on the Henry Moore sundial, those roadworks in Dunstable. And Sandy Skate Park. And I'd love to get your calls on all of those things. And also, we're talking tattoos after David Steele's wife, at the age of 70, treated herself 
to a tattoo as a birthday present. And uh, really, am I wrong to think that there's just something inappropriate about that? My son could come home and tell me anything. Could tell me anything and I would love him and embrace him and congratulate him. If he came home and showed me a tattoo, do you know what? I, I, I would be really angry. 08459 455 555. Am I being a little bit unfair about this? You can also text as well. 81333. Start your text 3CR. Uh, or you can email 3CR at bbc.co.uk. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Some of you have got very angry about the uh, the whole subject of tattoos. I, I believe I may have upset one or two of you. Uh, you can text him, but I, I would love a, a phone call. 08459 455 555. Hertfordshire Police say a stolen Henry Moore sculpture has been found following an appeal by BBC's Crime Watch programme. The bronze sundial sculpture was stolen from the grounds of the Henry Moore Foundation in Much Haddam overnight between the 10th and 11th of July. Nicky Fox reports. It's worth a fortune, and many feared it would never be seen again. The sundial, by arguably Britain's best-known sculptor, was taken from the grounds of the Henry Moore Foundation at Much Haddam 12 days ago. The theft attracted huge publicity. Hertfordshire police appealed for any information, but for a week... There were no leads. Detectives are investigating the theft of a rare bronze sundial. On it's Thursday night, though, the case was featured on Crime Watch. And is worth about half a million pounds. There's two theories at the moment. One is that it's been stolen for its scrap value, and uh, really it would be worth very little in scrap value, probably no more than 70, 75 pounds. The Henry Moore Foundation are offering a reward of uh, 25,000 pounds, and obviously what we want to do is we want to get the sundial back. Thanks, Paul. Uh, if you have any idea where that bronze sundial might be, or of course who took it, please call us. It's now emerged that shortly afterwards someone rang in with a tip-off. Police aren't saying exactly where they found the sculpture, but three young men from Stansted in Essex were arrested. We're absolutely thrilled to have it back, to have something back home again that's been missing for a couple of weeks. Well, it's just like having a, a long-lost relative come home again. The Foundation hopes the case will now stimulate interest in finding another work stolen from Much Haddam. The £100,000 reward for finding reclining figure remains unclaimed after seven years. 22-year-old Liam Hughes and 19-year-old Jason Parker, both from Stansted in Essex, face two counts of theft. They've been granted conditional bail and are due before magistrates in Stevenage on August the 3rd. A 22-year-old man who was also arrested was released without charge. Earlier on, I spoke to Dick Ellis. He is a private art investigator and used to work for New Scotland Yard's famed art and antique squad. He praises programmes like Crime Watch when it comes to the recovery of stolen items. It has a very good track record, both for identifying people and stolen property. So it, it is one of the ways forward. Uh, what you have to do when you lose property like this, uh, and, and the onus is on the owner uh, or their insurers to, insu- to make sure that the public at large are aware that these things have been stolen mm. part of the due diligence process. You can't expect people to know that something has been stolen unless you tell them. Um, just get as much information out there, photographs of your stolen property, Uh, Not just garden statuary, obviously, but anything that you have stolen. Make sure it gets the widest publicity, because it makes it that much harder to to pass on, and people can't say, oh, I didn't know it was stolen. 
um, if you've advertised it very fully. I'm old enough to remember the uh, the precursor to Crime Watch on ITV. Do you remember that? Police Five with Shaw Taylor. I used to love that as a kid. Who remembers what Shaw Taylor's catchphrase was at the end of it? Do you remember? 81333. Start your text uh, 3CR if you uh, do remember that. Business owners are angry that they are losing money because people are purposefully avoiding Dunstable. It's due to the ongoing roadworks, the £1 million improvement scheme, which is also causing traffic chaos. The problem has got so bad that a meeting between traders was held to discuss ways in which to encourage more people into the town. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, is there this morning. Good morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. Yes, uh, sunshine here in Dunstable, which is a bit of a miracle, but um, uh, certainly lots of problems here with the traffic. Uh, The signs are up here saying business is open as usual. Uh, The roadworks, they're going to be taking place for 20 weeks. They started on the 25th of June. And the big issue, Ian, is the one-way system here. As you go down Kingsway and Queensway, now normally you could turn down Queensway from High Street North, but with this system in place for 20 weeks, you can't do that anymore. I spoke to a mole a few minutes ago from Queensway News, and he says that his business is down by 50 50%, so big numbers. And joining me live now is Tim Mulroney. Tim is the manager of Asda here in Dunstable. Now, Tim, you're saying the situation has improved with these roadworks in the last couple of weeks, but if we are to take business in the first two weeks of the roadworks, you lost thousands of pounds. How much exactly? It's really hard to quantify that in cash terms, but the first two weeks was a significant drop-off in the customer numbers for coming into the store due to the roadworks. I mean, I've heard figures of around £100,000 a week. Is that fair to say? It's really hard to quantify that with the sales. Um, just looking at the weather over the last few weeks and the other things that have been going on in the country, it's hard to compare that like for like. But how can a business like yourself afford to lose thousands of pounds a week? Because you are losing an awful amount of money here. Um, We can't. It can't continue. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, the roadworks have been there. But the last two weeks, it has been an improvement with the flow of traffic in Dunstable. Um, So hopefully those customers will start to return now. So what's changed then? Because in the first two weeks, people were saying that it was just non-stop traffic. You couldn't move. What suddenly changed so much? Absolutely. We've changed the flow of uh, the one-way system. So as you come out of the car park in, at Asda, it's now gone to a two-lane, then into a three-lane, and that means that it's able for it to keep flowing, uh, the traffic. So you've got a, a big issue really trying to entice your customers back, because after those first two weeks, they might be saying, I'm not going to go there again. Absolutely. Um, and it is going to be a battle for us for the next few weeks. But certainly if any customers come down to the store today, they can see that the traffic is flowing fine. And some people are saying, why are these roadworks taking place anyway? Uh, the roadworks have been in place uh, for the council to build a dedicated bus lane along Court Drive. Um, and it's due to, obviously, launch in November. And how bad is traffic here normally? Forget the roadworks, before the roadworks, just how bad does it get here? I, th- I think everyone's aware that Dunstable's quite bad for traffic, certainly along the A5, um, and that then kind of blacks up into the rest of Dunstable, uh, but traffic is a pain in Dunstable as it stands already. We've heard from local traders over here uh, along this road saying it is a nightmare, they're losing up to 50% of their trade. You as a, as a major trader in the UK also saying you're losing money. Just lastly, when these roadworks are finally out of the way in 20 weeks' time, is it going to be a nice journey through here? 
I, I do hope so, and I believe that the, the opening up of uh, the bus lane should uh, improve the traffic flow along the um, on Long Court Drive, so yes. I only hope so, Tim. Thanks for your time. That's uh, Tim Mulroney. Uh, he's the manager of Asda here in Dunstable. So, as I'm looking up to the high street right now, Ian, traffic not too bad. I think that, that the hope is right now, with kids being off school, with it being mm. half-term again, that should hopefully ease the situation, but you can't have local traders losing up to 50% of their business. Some of these people are, are after 20 weeks, I'm sure, are going to be very close to actually going out of business purely because of these roadworks. Well, people, are, small businesses are struggling enough as it is at the moment. And uh, ho- is are there going to be enough benefits when this is finished? Will they benefit from this? What's being done there? Do you think? Well, we we, we can only hope that, that obviously once these roadworks are out of the way, as Tim was saying, there it, it may ease congestion. But we're not going to know about that uh, until the roadworks are out of the way. Mm. But we've, we've ha- heard this story so many times on, on this radio station, Ian, about the, the, the traffic in Dunstable. Something's got to be done. And for these people here uh, along Queensway, so many local independent traders, uh, people are just saying that people cannot be bothered to sit in traffic, get parked and come and see them because it's taking far too long. Well, let's see how it goes. Justin, going off on a complete tangent, this morning we are arguing uh, uh, about tattoos. Now, I was saying earlier on, some people you know they've got tattoos, Mm. some people you don't know they've got tattoos. You're in the middle, Justin. I can't work out (laughs) if you have or not. So I'm going to ask you, do you have any tats? Well, when I take my trousers down for you later on, Ian, I'll show you. No, I'm only joking, I'm only joking. Um, I haven't got any tattoos at all. When I was younger, when I was younger, I did want a tattoo, yeah. and then I kind of grew out of that phase. I've, I've seen so many of my friends that, that have had tattoos that, looking long-term, have started to regret that. I think they're kind of asking themselves, when I get older, yeah. my grandchild's going to say, what's that on your arm? Yeah. And they're going to have to try and explain it. So some people I know have regretted them, some people have had them taken off. So for me, it's a big no-no for the time being anyway. What, what what, when you were younger and you were thinking of getting one, what was what were you sort of hankering towards? Oh, you're going to really laugh at this. Um, it'll be a football one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I, I saw Sean B once. He's got a hundred percent blade on his arm. Being a Sheffield United fan, he yeah. was uh, uh, having that one. I saw uh, a friend of mine who had a huge Luton Town tattoo all the way down his arm, and it looked great. But the problem is, when you go away in the summer and you're walking down the beach and you've got a massive, great big Luton Town badge on your arm, yeah. people unfortunately. I'm probably going to laugh at you. I don't want that anymore. Yeah, Justin, I, we don't want people laughing at you either, Justin. So please, for goodness sakes, keep your trousers on at all times. Beds, hearts and bugs news. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are your headlines this morning on Monday the 23rd of July on BBC Three Counties Radio. Two men have been charged with the theft of a bronze sculpture by Henry Moore and a bronze plinth, both stolen from the Henry Moore Foundation in Hertfordshire earlier this month. The items were recovered by Hertfordshire Police following an appeal on BBC One's Crime Watch program a major new waste plant in buckinghamshire is set to move a step closer today as councillors consider the recommendations to award the energy from waste contract the planning application for the 300,000 ton site at great moor near calvert was approved in april in sport, Bradley Wiggins has left Paris after his Tour de France victory to start preparing for the Olympics. Wiggins said he'll be back on his bike at a secret location later today. Full sports bu- bulletin with uh, Simon in 15 minutes. Have weather soon with Steve Weston. And coming up, our reporter will join us live from the US with the latest on the man arrested in connection with shootings at the premiere of the new Batman film. Good morning. I, I really do wish... I, there must be some way, uh, Jonathan, that we can record the conversations we have off air and release them as an adults-only podcast or something. <laughs> 
thing. <laughs> because the stuff that is discussed, we only have 30 seconds, 45 seconds, but the stuff that is discussed, discussed really is uh, top notch. It really is. I, you're surprised because yesterday was the hottest day we've had all year, uh, pretty much. And I was in a dark room in my house. I, I say doing some work. I'm building a really geeky website, so it's not work at all. Listening to all of your consumer hours from last week. I wasn't sure whether to be flattered or horrified. <laughs> it was, it's a little bit creepy. Yeah, I, I, well, no, I'm, I'm very flattered you were choosing to listen to me, but, but surely you should have been, you know, you should have been getting out there in the sun. You told me to get my lallies get out. Get your lallies out, get your bikini on. What's a lally? Your legs. I would imagine you've got very pasty legs, I've have got you? Horrible, bandy, pasty have legs. You? Yeah, not nice at all. I don't like my legs. Very rarely will they, uh, will, will my lallies come out. Please <laughs> <laughs> did. You have a nice weekend. I, I had a lovely weekend. Yes, I spent most of it sitting in a garden with a bottle of wine. I was going to say, you, have you? Are you drunk now? Because. <laughs> You're slightly <laughs> more relaxed than you normally are. Has well, it carried over? Good for, well, you, good for you. Well done. No, I'm not drunk. No, of course he's not, dear listener. I apologise. What's on your show this morning? Coming up on the uh, on the big phone in at nine. I'm asking. Do you hope Bradley's win gets more of a cycling? Uh, Britain has a new sporting hero. His face is on the front of just about all of this morning's papers. He's Bradley Wiggins, the first British winner in the 109-year history of the Tour de France. He rode more than 2,000 miles over the past three weeks, but says he'll be back on his bike today to get ready for the Olympic road race on Saturday. Well, you were sat in a darkened room all weekend. Yes, I was. And yes. you didn't notice how many people had suddenly decided oh. to imitate Bradley Wiggins. I've never seen so many cyclists in my entire life as I did yesterday. Literally, the whole of... I drove through St Albans and I drove through Harpenden. Mm. You've never seen so much lycra in one small part of Hertfordshire in just, uh, you know, a 20-minute stretch of the day. So much lycra. It would appear the Bradley Wiggins effect is bringing the cyclists out. But is that a good thing? From nine this morning, do you hope Bradley's win will get more of a cycling? I'd love your view. 08459 Are you a cyclist? I would imagine you are. (laughs) No? No, not at all. I'll grow the sideburns, but I won't won't get... I've got a bike... Um, I bought about four years ago for my wife's birthday. I, well, I bought us some nice bikes, a pair of bikes. We used them three times. They're now down the side of the house, um, rusting. So, oh, what a shame. Should have got a tandem. <laughs> Can you you, you're not a cyclist, are you? No, good no. lord, no. <laughs> <laughs> We'll do anything like that. Jonathan, uh, should we be listening at nine o'clock? Will you? Oh, thanks so much. Nah, just being polite. Uh, Jonathan... <laughs> I have to say it contractually. Uh, Jonathan Fernand-Smith will be on at nine o'clock and is always, always worth uh, a listen. We're talking about tattoos. Um, and have we got to, we, do we have a caller on uh, for the tattoos? Oh, no, maybe not. Maybe we'll, we'll come back. Well, sorry, I do apologise. We'll come back to that a little bit later on. If you, I should have asked Jonathan if he's got any tattoos. I bet he's got loads. Oh, oh my goodness, he's exposing his flesh to me. I bet he's got loads all down his back. Uh, if you've got a tattoo, could you give me a call and let me know? Because I, I, it, it really does um, strike me as rather odd, an odd thing to do. 08459 455 555. We will be coming to, uh, to uh, uh, someone who's got lots of tattoos on their body at a rather unusual age as well. But before that, let's get the weather news now with Steve Weston. The man believed to be responsible for killing 12 people and injuring scores of others in a mass shooting at a Colorado cinema during a premiere of the latest Batman film will appear in court today. 24-year-old James Holmes has been held in solitary confinement for his own protection after being arrested on Friday. 
A major operation had to be carried out to make safe the flat that Holmes had been living in, which had been rigged with explosives and booby traps. The mass killing has left America in shock and facing questions, not for the first time, about the wisdom of lenient gun laws and the potential impact of on-screen violence, though as yet no direct link has been proven in this case. Our US reporter James Gordon joins us now. James, what's the feeling there in the US? Well, as you might imagine, people here are are shocked and saddened by what happened uh, on Friday night. But more to the point, they are they're also angry at at this this man. This man was able to to carry out uh, so many so many killings and injuring so many people. Fifty eight people injured, twelve people dead, and um, they're just asking the questions: Why did why did he do it? Um, It's something that might never be answered because he is not speaking to the the police at this stage, um, although he is doing. Court later on today, but um, yeah, as you might imagine, there's been nothing but discussion on this story all weekend by the the, the news media in this country. America does seem to have um, more than its fair share of tragedies like this. How has how has it shocked the whole country? Is, is the whole country in a uh, kind of mourning? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because obviously um, I, I'm based in New York and, uh, you know, that's about 2,000 miles away from where the shooting occurred. But um, people are discussing it, uh, you know, in the streets, in, in, in the city. Uh, for example, the, the, the cinemas in New York over the weekend had police um, outside of them. Uh, every single cinema in the city wow. had, 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 had cops, the NYPD were there. And uh, whether or not that was just to reassure people or to act as a deterrent, um, various uh, national uh, movie chains, m- movie theatre chains, uh, banned people from coming in costume because obviously, you know, these, mm. these th- this film was for Batman, and lots of people here that they mm. like to dress up. Americans love to dress up, but um, you know, they, they told people not to do that. So it has affected people, uh, whether you like it or not. In many mm. ways, I would say Obama has um, been to visit the families of those killed, hasn't he? He has. He was in Aurora yesterday night. Um, he met the survivors and the families of the victims uh, when he, he visited the University of Colorado Hospital. He said that he shared hugs and tears, and he said that out of darkness, a brighter day is going to come. He said uh, to, to the media afterwards that uh, he confessed his words were inadequate. He felt inadequate just being there. But uh, he said that his main task was to serve as a representative of the entire country. And, and he does tend to take on this role in times of crisis like this, um, times of sadness, he, he acts as a, the sort of nation's mourner-in-chief, mm. and he's a very effective uh, at doing that. And he said that not only were hugs and tears shared, but also laughter too, as families recounted the lives of their loved ones. And what's the reaction been to the President's visit? Well, he was very well received, and in fact, um, you know, people, I think people who lost their loved ones, I think to meet the president under such circumstances it's um it must be heartbreaking for them because of course he's 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 popular in in that part of the world in in colorado um but either way you know just under these kind of circumstances i can't imagine it would have been much fun Mm. but he 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 is the kind of guy who knows what to say uh, at the right time and and to the right people he has the common touch and um 
a bit like his predecessor George Bush. He always seems to know uh, what to say, and he, he's he, 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 he's not um, political campaigning. You know, the campaigning for the general election has been suspended by both candidates uh, over this weekend. But um, I think it will have been it will certainly do him no harm. Mm. The fact that he's been there so soon after this tragedy, uh, as always, after these things, James, that there is um, like a call to change the the, the gun laws. America's never going to change the gun laws, is it? If, if someone came out as a, a presidential candidate and said we're going to get we're going to tighten the laws on guns, they'd never get voted in, would they? Exactly. I mean, um, this is something that people in Britain uh, don't often appreciate, but the, the gun lobby in this country are enormously powerful. They, they pull a lot of political weight. They donate millions of dollars to both campaigns, and uh, particularly the re- Republican campaign. And as a result, um, it would be a very brave candidate indeed that would suggest tightening or restricting America's gun laws. And th- although this debate um, always seems to uh, rear its head, after an incident such as this, uh, you, you can bet this time next week it will not be talked about. James, thank you very much. James Gordon there uh, in the US talking about the uh, the killings um, at the weekend. And it, it's always, when it's so far away, even if it's, you know, wherever it is, it's always quite abstract, I think. I, f- I find it quite abstract. And then a, a few of the papers today, they've got pictures of all of the people that were killed. And when you see that, the actual human face, you know, these smiling faces and their ages and things like that, uh, it, it makes it very, very real, uh, you know, when, when you can put names and faces and ages to it. For some reason, it was the ages that upset me more than anything. Just seeing, you know, that someone was 26, and someone was 31, and someone was 17. Terrible. This is BBC Three Counties. Uh, this is Ian Lee here until nine o'clock. You can give me a call about any of the things that we're touching on this morning, 08459 455 555. Particularly keen to hear your stories about tattoos uh, and what you're going to do over the summer holiday with your kids. We've got a, a text um, from Sarah on 81333, starting a text 3CR. I am just driving to work with clear roads after 10 minutes extra in bed. Schools are out and no traffic on the way to work. Bliss. Love the summer camp idea. Think it will be great for all children and well worth the money. That man obviously really cared and was enthusiastic. He was very enthusiastic, uh, which is rare in these times. Let's get children out from behind their computers and TVs and back outside. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Simon. This is Inley, uh here until 9 o'clock. Then Jonathan Vernon-Smith will, will come in and he's asking, are you more likely to get on your bike now because of uh, Bradley Wiggins? That's not the exact question, but that's, that's kind of a roundabout way of what he's asking. Uh, I, the cycling thing, I just, it, it's hard work, isn't it? It looks like fun. Uh, I say I bought a bike for me and my wife uh, a few years ago, and um, I thought we'll, we'll ride them home. It was exhausting. <laughs> it's really hard. Really hard on your legs and on your bum. Um, I, I, you may be guessing from uh, this that I'm a very, very lazy man, and you would be absolutely correct to assume that. Uh, if you've got tattoos as well, you've got 25 minutes to call in and, and uh, tell me what tattoos you've got. Uh, or if you're dead against them, 08459 455 555. Now, a major new waste plant in Buckinghamshire is set to move a step closer today as councillors consider the recommendation to award the energy from waste contract. 
the planning application uh, for the 300,000 tonne site at Great Morning Calvert was approved in April. Uh, political reporter Paul Scoyne says, Morgan. Morning, Paul. Morning, Ian. Uh, Paul, tell us uh, about the incinerator. Well, it's to be built uh, in Calvert, which is just the north of Aylesbury. Uh, they say it's going to process around 300,000 tonnes of waste a year, which can't be recycled. So this is your back bin line, uh, black bin liner waste, uh, not recycling stuff. Um, they'll also uh, manage to power some homes from that. They're going to power electricity. It's going to make electricity for around 36,000 homes. Uh, the council and the, um, the people who have been putting this proposal together say it will well, create around 40 jobs and uh, they'll also uh, be able to process some of these, uh, uh, the, the, the byproducts of this burning, if you like, all the minerals, all the, the good stuff, if you like, that comes out of the, uh, of the burning of this waste. They'll also process that. So that's, that's the kind of proposal that's been um, accepted. It was accepted around in April. Uh, and, and today we get the uh, decision or the confirmation, if you like, on the, on the people who are going to run it. And then once that decision has gone through, the, uh, the, the operating group, if you like, they can, uh, they can start building. So what's this decision likely to mean then? Just, just we we now start actually building it. Yeah, I mean, in in some ways, this is just going to rubber stamp it. This is the right. the the council's uh, cabinet. They're meeting today just to give that final confirmation, and we think it will be uh, the group called well, they were called Waste Recycling Group at the time of the application. They've now changed their name to FCC Environment UK, which is rather snappy. And uh, always put the word environment in. You see, that's what these yeah. companies do. So you yeah. go, oh, envi- oh, it must be it, green, lovely. Fine. Um, I mean, they do argue that it is a much cleaner uh, sort of form of waste uh, regeneration, if you like, um, uh, since the days of the 70s and the 80s where you had incinerators that literally just pumped black smoke out into the... uh, out into the sky, the, uh, the the group say that this is far cleaner, and they cap the uh, uh, the the chimneys and they make it far less uh, environmentally damaging. Protesters aren't necessarily, I think, convinced by that. But we, you know, at the hearing when we when mm. we heard the application go through, we even had the TV presenter Johnny Ball come along and uh, and speak in favour of this technology, saying that he couldn't believe that Britain was so far behind the rest of Europe when it comes to uh, energy from waste sites. Is the official term. Um, I think everyone will know them as incinerators. So mm. I think, it, you know, what we'll see today uh, is the Cabinet decide, and it, I mean, it is recommended to do this, but they'll basically approve that uh, FCC Environment UK will be the operators, and they then say they'll be able to start work on it later in the year, probably in the autumn. I'm guessing it's not going to be very popular. <laughs> Well, you're right. I thought so. Uh, um, there have been lots of objections. There, there, there was a, a question on whether or not there was a need for it, because there's been a, approval for a, a bigger one of these sort of sites just in, in Bedfordshire, uh, near, well, at the Rookery Pit site, just to the sort of southwest of, uh, of Bedford. Um, there's also a concern about the number of vehicles going to and from the site. There's a, an impact on the local area, uh, which they, they say will ruin, this is what the local district council said, will ruin an urban and visually uh, sort of quiet rural landscape. Um, and there's also a concern that it's just not needed. The, the amount of waste that Bucks present, produces isn't anywhere near 300,000 tonnes at the moment it's closer probably to about 200,000 tonnes so they were saying that at the, at the planning meetings it, they're going to have to buy waste in or buy waste in but they have to effectively say to people well we'll have your waste um, so other counties might start delivering waste to the north of Bucks and that was I think a concern for lots of people because there was a concern that the sheer number of vehicle movements yeah. was going to be vastly increased than, than what it could be so there was some pretty valid concerns but it did go through 
not unanimously, but it was pretty close to being unanimous. The uh, two Liberal Democrats on the on the panel objected to it. So it, 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 it is likely to go ahead today. Paul, thank you very much. That's our political reporter, Paul Scoynes, uh, talking about the uh, 300,000 tonne um, site uh, at Great Moor near Calvert that was approved in April. Um, and it get, gets a stage closer. Does it affect you? Surely it's got to go somewhere, hasn't it? Or does it? The Paul there saying that, well, actually, maybe we don't need it. If this affects you in any way, we'd love to hear 08459 555. Is, is it that thing, if you're upset, is it just because it's happening near you? If it was happening further away, would that be different? Would that make it any better? Earlier on in the show, we were talking about summer schools and offering children things to do during the holidays. But uh, for many uh, in Sandy, there's now less to do. It's because most of the skate park there has been demolished because it was too dangerous. Ten years ago, people in Sandy and Bedfordshire raised more than £60,000 to build a skate park. Most of it has just been knocked down for safety reasons. But the Sandy Skating Association say they're now being asked to pay £20,000 to get it back. Kobe Ellison is a skateboarder and says his summer's been ruined. Good morning, Kobe. Hi. How long have you been using the park for? Um, probably for about a good six, seven years, something like that. All right. Uh, and it, it, I mean, it's, it, it's been taken down because it's not safe, is that right? Yeah. So that, yeah. that's kind of that's quite a good reason to take it down, isn't it? It is a good reason. It's just I suppose it would have been better if they had like a guaranteed way of putting it back up, rather than just getting rid of it completely. Right. Uh, because how is this going to be put back up? Are, are, are people are the public being asked to pay for this, or are the council going to take responsibility? What's the situation as far as you know? Um, well, the council said they might be able to make some sort of donation, but most of it's sort of relying on us to fundraise for it. That's all right, though, isn't it, Kobe? You can get out and, you know, do, do something to, to raise a bit of cash. You can do that, can't you? Give it a go. It's not, not a bad idea. It'll just take a lot of time and a lot of effort, really, won't it? But, the, but that will show... But listen, that the, the, listen, people have things way too easy at the moment. That will show how dedicated you are to it. If you go out there and you help raise the money... And you make an effort, and you and your mates and your friends and your families make a real effort. I, yeah. You, wouldn't that be fantastic? To, you could tell your kids in the future, that skate park, I, I'm part of that, I built that, I went out and worked, and I went out and, and did stuff, and I raised money to build that. That would be an amazing monument, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would, yeah. Kobe, what are you going to do to keep yourself occupied uh, until you manage to raise the money to get the skate park back? I'm not sure. We've still got one round there, so I guess I'm just going to have to skate that all day. Going to pull a few gnarly ollies? I, I will do, yeah. Do people still say gnarly ollies? I'm, I'm kind of going back 25 years to remember what skateboarders taught. Is, is that still a phrase? Well, we don't really say gnarly too much, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just tried to sound cool and I came across like a granddad, didn't I? No, nah, nah, it's all right. <laughs> Kobe, listen, best of luck. Get together with, you, with your mates, that's my suggestion, uh, and come up with a way to raise the money. Just think how amazing that would be to have a skate park or to have something that you have achieved, that you have, you have contributed towards, you have helped build. Fantastic. Kobe, you sound like a, a, um, a, a responsible, uh, upright young man. You can do it. Go and do it. I'll wait, 459, 455, 555. Beds, 
Hearts and Bugs News. BBC Three Counties Radio. These are the headlines this morning on Monday the 23rd of July on BBC Three Counties Radio. Two men have been charged with the theft of a bronze sculpture by Henry Moore and a bronze plinth, both stolen from the Henry Moore Foundation in Hertfordshire earlier this month. The items were recovered by Hertfordshire Police following an appeal on BBC One's Crime Watch programme. As we've been hearing, a major new waste plant in Buckinghamshire is set to move a step closer today, as councillors consider the recommendation to award the Energy from Waste contract. The planning application for the 300,000-tonne site at Great Moor near Calvert was approved in April. In sport, Bradley Wiggins has left Paris after his Tour de France victory to start preparing for the Olympics. Wiggins said he'll be back on his bike at a secret location later today. The weather for beds, hearts and bucks. A fine and dry day with long spells of sunshine and feeling very warm. Top temperature around 28 degrees Celsius. Coming up, we're going to hear how teens across the country are for the first time able to pay for things using a kind of card that can also be used as a form of ID. And JVS is here with the phone-in from Nine. Today he's asking, do you hope Bradley's win gets more of a cycling? Every Monday to Saturday from 12, Nick Coffer. What's in it for you? Why, why should someone get involved? The spirit of adventure, also uh, job satisfaction. There was a nurse out there called uh, Josie Gilday. She called me into the therapeutic feeding centre one, one afternoon and said, uh, I need a, a chair for one of our patients. Nick Coffer. And she was sat up, looking around, laughing, giggling in that chair. You can see the effect that you're having on, on the people around you. Nick Coffer, Monday to Saturday from 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. He's got a computer expert on today. A computer expert. So if you've got any technical problems, give him a call. From today, youngsters in beds, hearts and bucks can pay using their own credit card. It's an in inverted commas, because it's not quite a credit card, which doubles up as, an, uh, as ID. It's the launch of the first prepayment method embedded in ID cards, which also shows your proof of age. It's aimed at those who are 12 years old and over and will allow parents to put money straight into the card. Andrew Chevis is the CEO of Citizen Card and joins me now. Good morning, Andrew. Oh, you're Hello, there. Morning. H- Hello, Andrew. Uh, tell me more about the card. Well, first of all, it's not a credit card. Yes, I apologise for using that, yes. <laughs> it's a debit card. You you can only spend what you load on the card. But, you know, young people now need to show ID. They need to prove their age, to prove they're entitled either to get into 12, 15 or 18 uh, movies at the cinema or, or 12, 15, 18 games. Uh, they also need to prove they're young enough. The under-16s have to prove they're young enough to get discounts on the buses and on the trains. And the older teenagers need to prove they're old enough to buy lottery tickets, scratch cards at 16. Uh, at 18, of course, it's alcohol, tobacco and, and, and all the adult things. So young people are well aware, and for 13 years, Citizen Card has issued more than 2 million uh, proof-of-age photo ID cards. What we're doing today is we're launching a new card with the added functionality of a Visa prepaid card it means also that the date of birth is on the smart chip and the mag stripe and it really is a way of giving young people more flexibility in how they spend their money for instance making it possible for to spend their money online but at the same time also creating a much safer environment than cash if cash is lost or stolen you're not going to see it again if this card is lost or you lose it behind the sofa just block it the funds are completely safe and every transaction requires chip and pin and we've blocked the adult merchant codes like gambling and licensed premises for the under 18 year olds so it's safe spending it's more flexibility and it's giving youngsters personal responsibility they on one bit of plastic they've got their identity and they've got the means to pay for the goods and services that they're entitled to buy 
do you not, uh, Andrew, do you not think, it, it worries me when I see, like, kids, like, really young kids with their own mobile phones and stuff. Do you not think that 12 is maybe a little bit too young to be introducing them to the world of, sort of debit cards? Well, a lot of a lot of parents actually get cash cards and, and similar cards for youngsters of that age. Do they? Wow. The, the reality is, well, the reality is that most 12-year-olds um, get regular pocket money mm-hmm. of between 10, 15 pounds a week. On top of that, from the age of 12, youngsters are increasingly uh, topping up their earnings by, for instance, Saturday work or part-time jobs. And so the reality is they've got cash which yeah. they lose they spend some of it what we're doing we're not we're not making young people spend any more they have to they can only spend what they've already got but what we're doing is we're creating a safer environment and putting it into the modern world and it's a reality young people have got even even the the vast majority 90 percent of 12 year olds have got access to a mobile phone mm. and they're nearly all on top up right pay as you go rather than contract for a very good reason so they understand that and really this is a pay as you go this is a pay-as-you-go card mm. um, for young people, and they, they they understand that. And we've had an endorsement from the government agency, the Personal Finance Education Group, precisely because this is about engendering a responsible attitude yeah. to managing money. It's it's actually a great step forward. And you know, I will I will be getting a card for for my own daughter this week. I'm Andrew, I'm so out of touch. Did you say that twelve-year-olds get ten to fifteen pounds a week pocket money? They, uh, 12, 12 to 15-year-olds wow. get on an average of, I think it's 11 or 12 Do they really? a week in terms of, in terms of the, the money. Things have changed since... I said they uh, have. Know. I'm so out of touch. I was kind of thinking... I was still thinking it's like £1.50, £2 if they do the washing up. I'm so, God, blimey. Uh, how many of these cards are you expecting um, to, to be taken up? Well, in the last 13 years, Citizen Cards issued 2.2 million. Mm. We'll, we'll have to see. We continue to offer our existing card, which doesn't have the Visa prepay functionality. So this is an optional extra. If they want to, for the same money, £15, they can choose to get this card. But uh, I, I, you know, I would hope that if we're speaking again in a year's time, I can, I can report mm. on many successful sales in, uh, in beds, bucks and hearts. And how do you block it um, to, uh, to, to, you know, so they can't do naughty things like, like the gambling and things like that? Is it that? You can deactivate it for certain things, can you? Yeah, yeah. For the, we distinguish between the over-18 cardholders, who are obviously old enough to do what they want with their money, and the under-18 cardholders, where we block the, what's called the Visa Merchant Codes, which means... Uh, that simply any visa merchant that's a, a gambling business or a lo- operates a licensed premises like a bar club, restaurant, any car hire firm, any pawn shop and uh, various other mm. adult products and services um, where literally we physically prevent the card being used to, to buy those goods and services. And we, we also distinguish the age in the card number. Mm. The, the first eight digits of the card number are different for under-18s to over-18s. So any website selling an age-restricted product can distinguish very easily between cardholders who are over 18 and under 18. But for the under 16s, there's the additional protection that it's the parent who must apply for the card and the parent manages the account. They load the card, they go online, check the transactions, see what their son or daughter is doing with the card. Oh, so they can see what's going on. Andrew, listen, it sounds fascinating. I'm sure we'll talk again at some point to see how it's going on. Uh, Andrew Chevis, there is the CEO of Citizen Card. Thank you very much for that. Now, business um, owners are angry they're losing money because people are purposefully avoiding Dunstable. It's due to the ongoing roadworks, the £1 million improvement scheme, which is also causing traffic chaos. 
Problems got so bad that a meeting between traders was held to discuss ways in which to encourage more people into the town. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, is in Dunstable this morning. Good morning, Justin. Morning, Ian. Yeah, the situation not great here. People are losing uh, a lot of money. We've heard about Dunstable before, having all sorts of problems with traffic, uh, and these problems are not going away, Ian. So what, what's going to happen? How long is this going to go on for? It's going to go on for quite a while, isn't it? It's going to go on for 20 weeks. Uh, the roadworks here started on the 25th of June. The big problem is the one-way system. So at the moment, I'm on Queensway. Normally, you could turn off High Street North down Queensway. You can't do that anymore. So the one-way system causing all sorts of problems. We spoke to Queensway News earlier. Uh, their trade is down by 50%. As for Asda, big superstore here in Dunstable, uh, they lost anything up to £100,000 a week in the first two weeks of the roadworks. And I've also been talking to Michael Graham. He from Casmix Cafe and I asked him how much business he's lost since these roadworks started. We lost on average 30% a day. I mean, it was really difficult, but, you know, we've gone through that and things seem to be a little bit better at the moment. So if things are better, are you still worried that people are staying away because they've had that negative experience and they're saying, well, for the next 20 weeks, I'm not going to give Dunstable a chance? Yes, without a doubt. I mean, we have a customer that come in that lives in Whipsnade and they come in twice a week, visit the Asda Superstore, and they said that they're not coming back until the roadworks is finished. See, I find that fascinating. Looking along Queensway right now, it's pretty quiet, which is quite good, probably because it's half-term. That's certainly going to help, isn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, for the school holidays, the traffic does, you know, gets less any anyway. But it is better now. The traffic is improved, and that's the message we want to get out to people. So in 20 weeks' time, I'm being told it's going to look very, very pretty here, but will it improve the traffic situation? Are you convinced of that? Um, I hope so. I mean, I hope we're doing all this work for, you know, the better of the town. So let's hope that it does improve. I mean, we can only hope so. Just lastly, Ian was talking about noodles earlier on. He's in the studio. I'm surrounded by lots of food here and glamorous ladies. Talk to me about your delicious bacon sandwich. How good is it here? And let's make Ian very hungry and very jealous. Well, Ian, if you could hear this, the sizzling of the bacon now, <laughs> we can put your four or five rashes of bacon in a nice, thickly sliced bread or a lovely crispy baguette. And we could put some nice brown sauce on that for you. Put bread if, you, if you're a red man. Just one problem. He's in the studio. I'll take that if you don't mind. Thanks so much for your time. <laughs> and best of luck with all the roadworks out here. Thanks, Justin. There you go. That was uh, Michael Graham from Casmix <laughs> Cafe. Now, one slight problem. I've been told that you're a vegetarian. Of course, we, we've not been working long together. Apparently, no. you're a veggie. There, is there, are, there are two problems with this, Justin. First of all is, yes, I'm a vegetarian. And secondly, mm. because you work for BBC, it's illegal for you to eat that sandwich. So I'm hoping <laughs> uh, you, you hand it back before the Daily Mail get whiff of this. Well, unfortunately, it's already been consumed. No, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. <laughs> but, but, but to be serious, to be serious for a second, yes. Michael there has got a great cafe, and as I look along Queensway right now, the traffic situation is actually very, very quiet. I think half-term has come at the right time for these traders. Hopefully, their business will pick up, and looking long-term here, when these roadworks are finished again, we can only hope that, that the traffic situation in Dunstable improves. Justin, listen, we've got to move on, because I want to fit a call in, but thank you very much. Always um, entertaining and informative. Uh, uh, Justin Dealey there. Uh, and th- th- he brought up the thorny subject of brown sauce. Maybe we'll do that tomorrow. What is the point of brown sauce? <laughs> I don't want to sound all negative, but brown brown sauce is disgusting. It's the tomato sauce all the way. Let's stop this nonsense because Jane in Aylesbury has called in. Good morning, Jane. Morning, Tim. Tattoos. I hate them. They are the worst thing ever invented. They are the worst thing ever invented. Yeah. Or everything in the world. They're awful. Why do you hate them so much, Jane? They, um... Uh... Well, let's, oh. let's put it this way. When, when, you, when you see somebody with a tattoo, you can always tell um, 
They look a bit thuggish. The people who wear them look thuggish, and you, you just... They do. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. What's yeah. the worst tattoo that you've ever seen? Um... Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, the, I, ones that, the ones that go right down the arm, like the snakes yeah, and things like that. Yeah. Um, I can understand the um, older generation being in the army. Navy, they didn't whatever. know any better. They didn't know any better, but to th- this day and age, it's like... <laughs> it, it's like, oh, that's exactly. It's, it's hard to put it into words, and sometimes only a sound would. Have, but, but some of them are, are very artistic, though, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. But can you imagine having that lot done? The pain must be excruciating. So don't numb it, as far as I know. And it just—they they look so uh, thuggish, and the, and the girls look like like could be bully, bully boys. You know, um, they. They they come across as I'm better than you because I've got a tattoo, sort of thing. <laughs> and they're not better than you, are they, Jane? No, no, they're not, Jane. I, I would not have one if you paid me a gazillion pounds. Oh, I'd, I'd get it done for a gazillion pounds. I'd, I'd have one for a gazillion pounds. I'd have a spider web on my face for a gazillion pounds. Jane, thank you very much for that. It's uh, uh, an interesting argument you put forward there. I will be back tomorrow at six o'clock, but do stick around now because it's Jonathan Vernon Smith. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.